Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, right now, I think we're pretty confident with the team we have going into camp. Um, I wouldn't rule out perhaps a few non-roster invitees that could be added, but overall, we feel pretty good about what That was John Mosaylock yesterday on the Zoom announcement for Yadier Molina's return, saying, hey, I feel pretty good about where the Cardinals are at right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I think there's a reason why he feels that way. Alex. Because he got Nolan Arenado? <laughs> That's definitely a big part of it. Why I feel um, that way. I think Tanner's not going to like hearing this. Oh, no. I think the Cardinals are excited about what Carlos Martinez is going to bring to the rotation this year. I think they saw what he did down in the Caribbean series. They heard all of their reports about how Carlos looks pretty good. The velocity looks like it might be back. Stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> and I think they're ready to see what that looks like as their number five starter. Remember in the offseason early on, Mo said there will be nothing handed to Carlos Martinez this year. He will have to earn his fifth spot in the rotation. I think the Cardinals not might now be tipping their hand. Carlos Martinez, based on what they've seen, and it could change if he doesn't have a good spring training, but based on what they've seen up to this point, has forced their hand to say, I'm your fifth starter going into the 2021 Cardinal season. Look, I, I again, T-Bone's going to get angry and he's going to start yelling. And as Danny Mac just put it, we, we, we're not here for that. But can you blame him? I, I mean, if you look at what Carlos has done so far in the Caribbean, and I understand it's the Caribbean series compared to Major League Baseball. They're two separate entities. But in the Caribbean series, he's pitched nine less innings than what he pitched in the entire 2020 season, BK. And look at his numbers. He's given up one run. In 11 and a third innings, and he did start in one of those games. Look, if, if, if you have this piece already on your roster and you're committing money to him, just like we've talked about with Matt Carpenter, you're committing money, so he's going to play. You got to play, Carlos. You got to see what this guy can offer. Let's go down the rabbit hole. Worst case scenario, he's exactly what he was last year. And then guess what? You go out there and you find yourself a pitcher that might be on the market sure. still. Best case scenario, you don't need a Jake Odorizzi because you just got a fifth starter in Carlos Martinez. Best case scenario, you didn't get a fifth starter. You got a number two. Carlos Martinez is one of the guys on this staff that has that potential. I know Tanner's face is, whoa, what are you? Are, are we pretending that Carlos Martinez doesn't have that kind of potential? No. Now, 
actually realizing that potential and having it are very different things. And I'm not suggesting that he's going to realize that potential in 2021. But Carlos Martinez has been that guy before. He can be that guy again. Will he? That remains the question at hand, but I think the Cardinals would like to know the answer to that question before they decide to go acquire somebody. That means it's no longer even a possibility for the Cardinals. And let's not overlook year. the fact that John Mozeliak did say that there could be some spring training roster invitees. And I know you and Danny Mack talked about it in the previous hour. That could be pitchers. That could be a guy who's out there that just wants a job, just wants to show what he has, and that turns into a contract. But for right now, we've talked about it. You have four of the five pitchers already set for your rotation. But if you have five guys that are competing for a, a spot in that rotation... It's the same problem that we fall into with the outfield. Let's see what we got here. I understand it's not a certainty. You're playing on ifs, but I trust the pitching more than I trust the batting. And for right now, I'll put a lot of trust in Carlos to see if he gives me what he wants. But if it, but if it doesn't, then shame on me and I need to go out there and fix it. If we're going to go with what you said, I agree. I think this is still a quote-unquote transition year for the Cardinals before they are ready to take that next step to becoming a legitimate World Series contender. I, If we're going to do that, though, let's let's quit saying Martinez is the five. He's not, he's not here next year. Let's be honest. He's not coming back. Unless he is a two, which I don't think he is. He's not going to be back next year. Okay, then let's start Reyes then. I'm okay with that. Let's see what, what we have in some Reyes of these starters. You, and, and, All right, like, we've got Ponce. I mean, we've got, we just mentioned the depth of the starting pitching. But I, Carlos's top-end talent is better than either of those guys. But again. I, I'd, I'd go with Reyes, but I, I don't trust Reyes. But we haven't seen anything with Reyes. Sure. We've seen Carlos pitch sub-two ERA in a season as a starter. Carlos is more proven than Reyes. There's definitely truth to that. But if he's not back, again, if this is going to be a transition year, which I think the Fowler trade basically set in stone, hey, we got to know what we have in the outfield then let's do the same with our starting rota- starting pitchers. Let's figure out if Pons can be a starter every fifth day. Let's fi- figure out if Reyes could could do it. This would be the year to start building him up Next to year. that. No, 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 take the training wheels off. Let's build him up this year. And then, don't do shit, no. I, lo- I, you love, just, I love where you're coming from. You Here's hate my Carlos too much. Tanner. I don't think the Cardinals are in a transition year. I, if you're talking about can they win the World Series this year, Maybe not, but I don't think this is a transition year. I don't think they view it that way. I sure as hell know Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright don't view yeah. it that way. They're not viewing this as a, hey, let's find out what the young guys can do. You, If you go into the year and the way that you're tipping your hand is showing, hey, let's develop. Yeah. It's all about development. Nuh-uh. Uh-uh. Not for those guys. The, I can promise you that. The transition year dropped off as soon as you acquired Nolan Arenado. And that's why when you when I look at this roster right now, I say, yeah, I want to see what Alex Reyes and Ponce de Leon can be as starters. And they're going to get their opportunity because there's 162 games this season. Maybe. But there's also an Hopefully. entire spring training that these guys get to work. And, and if Ponce or Reyes go out there in spring training and say, Carlos, you're not good. About, you're not better than us. Well, then he doesn't deserve that shot. But if Carlos pitches the way he's done in 11 and a third innings in the Caribbean series, or he's given up one earned run, then he deserves that spot. I Maybe transition is too strong a word because I, they're a playoff team and they are going for a World Series this year, but they're not going all in necessarily. Be, and, and that's the signal that's me because you moved Fowler to open up the playing time for the young outfielders. See, I, I don't think the Fowler move tells us anything. I think Fowler's ceiling was lower than the ceiling that you can get out of O'Neill or Thomas. And I think today, 
Lane Thomas is probably a better player than Dexter Fowler. I would agree, but you got rid of the only outfielder you knew exactly what you were getting getting from, is I would a, argue. Is that a good or a bad thing that uh, we knew what we were getting out of Dexter Fowler? <laughs> that's probably a bad thing, actually. Yeah. But I don't I, think that told us anything about how they view this team. I, you got rid of Dexter because Colorado... Uh, Burditch and Dick gave us $50 million checks. They're like, hey, text her. We can move on here, buddy. I just don't want to see Seymour go back to the rotation. I understand. If he's great, then fine. Go ahead. I guess slide him in there. But if if I'm looking to next year, I want to see Reyes or pa- I want to see one of those guys. I want to figure out if one of them is a starter because you've got two guys coming off the books next year in KK and Martinez. So there's two spots to fill. And you, Martinez like I said, he's just one of them coming off. We don't know who could. I understand Libertor's coming up. Thompson's coming up. They could be guys to do yeah. it. They're going to be stretched out in AAA. I want to know about the guys on the big league roster. Let me I, give you a scenario, though, T-Bone. You go into spring training, and Carlos Martinez has five starts, and he goes out there, and he pitches gems for you. He looks. He's picking up strikeouts. He's giving you five or six innings of work. He's going scoreless for you. Are you going to go into that season and say, Carlos, you were incredible? But you're better suited for the bullpen. No, but I would I would put him in the rotation then. But I don't want to just sit here and say, oh, he's looking good in the Caribbean League. Let's put him in the rotation. No, he better do that in spring training yeah, if he's he going to be in my good. rotation. I don't think the Caribbean Series BK has said anything of he's getting this job. Mo no. has stuck to his standards of, hey, you got to earn that spot in the rotation. If he stinks in spring training, he's not starting. Yeah. But if he's good in spring training and we have every indication so far, and this is all we can go off of so far, what he's done in the winter, he apparently looks good. He looks like he's in shape. Yachty said yesterday that he looks like he's taking things more seriously. By the way, let's not ignore the fact that it is a contract year for Carlos Martinez. He has every incentive to be really good going into this year, healthy going into this year, taking advantage of his offseason by making sure he is prepared going into this season. I'm not saying he's the savior. I'm not saying he's the answer. I'm saying that if you are the Cardinals, you have to find out if he is the answer. And signing a guy like Jake Odorizzi, I got no issues with it. Signing a guy like Odorizzi to a three-year, $45 million deal is what it sounds like it might cost. I'm not doing that when I might have a similar type of pitcher already internally readily available for me. I'll find out if I need a, a, another starter come the deadline. I, I think that Carlos is going to get that first opportunity. And on Reyes, just to kind of put a bow on this, I'm all for Reyes being a starter for this team in the future. The last time Alex Reyes threw 100 innings in a season was five years ago. Mm-hmm. I want to find out if he can make it through 162 games throwing 80 or 100 innings before I get to 200. So uh, let's let's find out what he can do this year as a spot starter and as a long reliever. And then next year, I'm more than happy to put him in the rotation. Right. I love the guy. I think he's going to be really, really special. But let's let's find out some answers about what he is right now before we get to that. Real quick, um, for people that are saying, well, we've gone through this before with Carlos. Well, we haven't, though. The last time that Carlos pitched in the Caribbean series in the offseason was 2014-15. And the year going into that for the Major League Baseball st- uh, side of things, the Cardinals, he gave them 14 wins. He pitched 180 innings and had a 3.01 ERA. So if I'm going off of previous history, the guy who pitches in the Caribbean series, the guy who pitches overseas in the offseason is the guy that looks to be at least in full form for a starting spot. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So I uh, wanted to share something with you guys. Uh, if you 
are a fan of football, if you uh, have paid any attention to the Chiefs over the years, if you read Yahoo Sports, uh, you probably saw the news yesterday. Um, a gentleman by the name of Therese Paler uh, passed away. He was 37 years old. Uh, Therese was one of my best friends. Um, I wouldn't be here today without Therese. I don't normally do this stuff on the radio. It's very hard for me to do this. Um, I learned about this yesterday during Danny Mac's show. And I got a call from a friend who told me during one of the breaks that Therese had passed. I still haven't totally come to grips with this. Um, He was 37 years old. Like I said, there was no indication that this was going to take place. Therese was working for Yahoo Sports. It was his dream job. He, the only thing he ever wanted to do was to write about football. I've never met anybody that loved anything the way that Therese loved football. I know a lot of you guys have dealt with loss in the last year. And... I've been incredibly fortunate and blessed in that I've never really lost anybody close to me. My grandparents passed whenever I was pretty little. I didn't know them all that well. Um, I've never dealt with a friend, certainly not somebody as young as Therese, um, passing away before. And I'm really struggling with it. And I can't really come to grips with the fact that the guy that helped me get my job in Kansas City, that was a dream job. Um, he sent three letters of recommendation for me for three different jobs. Uh, he agonized with me when I was passed over twice. He celebrated with me when I got the job the third time. Um, I can't shoot him a text anymore and talk about the chiefs. Uh, I can't tell him about the cool things that are going on. Um, every time that I got a, a promotion or uh, a new opportunity, we'd, we'd talk about it together and he would celebrate it for me more than I celebrated it for myself. Um, and the, the great, one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life was last year when I was working in Kansas City, um, my lifelong dream was to, to work in KC, but to host a show with Therese. And I got to co-host something called the Therese Paler Show on 610 in Kansas City, and it was the single greatest thing I've ever done. Um, We hosted every Monday night from 6 to 7 o'clock, and the best part about that, and you you know this, Alex, like when you do these kinds of shows, it's not just the talks that you have when you're on air. Honestly, those are the least meaningful. Um, It's the stuff before and after, and we used to, for 30, 45 minutes after the show every day, we just talk whether it be about media or um, I was struggling at that time because my girlfriend was living here and my now fiance, uh, I was living in Kansas city. He was just, he was a guy that I love talking to. Um, and he always had the right advice. Um, it's really hard to do this today. I really, it took me hours to do our prep last night, um, but it was good to have the distraction. And so I wanted to thank all of you guys for listening. Um, I wanted to tell you that if you uh, ever need somebody to talk to, uh, my DMs are open. You can follow me on Twitter. I would be more than happy to talk with you Um, because I've had a lot of people help me out in the last 24 hours or so. And if I could say one last thing on this, um, the one thing that I I never did um, and I wish I did was tell Therese that I love him. Um, He's like a brother to me. And... 
if you've been on Twitter at all in the last 24 hours, you've seen how many people loved Therese Paler. He was a good man. He was a uh, passionate man. And uh, he's he's going to be missed like crazy. Uh, last thing here is he sent me a uh, a DM once after I, I didn't get a job that I really wanted. Um, I, th- I think it was – it personified him. Uh, he said, grit is perseverance, the ability to stay connected to a goal even when there are obstacles or the goal is far away. Therese had grit, and um, going through this is going to give me a lot of grit, I hope, because it's going to require a lot of perseverance. Um, It's going to require a lot of staying connected to goals, and there are a hell of a lot of obstacles right now. Um, So hug on your loved ones. Tell them that you love them. And like I said, I know it's been a tough year for all of you. I've been fortunate enough to not lose anybody yet. And the fact that I lost somebody yesterday was really, really hard. So know that we're here for you guys. And uh, hopefully this this was um, therapeutic for me in some ways. And know that if, if it sounds like we're having a rough segment or I'm not totally here all the way, uh, that's why. Not using it as, a, as an excuse, but just wanted to let you guys know kind of what's going on in my life right now. So love you guys. Um, we're going to have a normal show today. This is the last time that we'll talk about this. Uh, we'll have some laughs. We'll talk about the Blues Power Play, and we'll do that again starting next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Yeah, I think it's going to be a work in progress the whole year, to be honest with you, because of injuries and things like that. And, you know, guys just going to have to play in different spots and do the job. That's what it boils down to. Like, I really liked the fourth line last night. Uh, they had good chemistry, and I thought they worked well together and worked hard. You know, the Shen line's been a real good line this year for us. You know, Riley got two goals last night with Barbashev on his line. So, you know, uh, you know, we'll just see how it goes. But, again, I think there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching with everything going on. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're good now. Uh, let's talk about the Blues <laughs> power play situation. Uh, Craig Berube was on with the fast lane yesterday. And I actually thought he gave some really good insight. It sounds like he's going to be on with him regularly moving forward. Chatting with Chief. God bless Craig Peruvi for dealing with those guys <laughs> each and every week. Uh, but it's going to be fantastic radio, and it gives us an opportunity to kind of get an even better glimpse into what's going on with the Blues mm-hmm. throughout the season. And I thought the chemistry issues that he talked about there, he did a great job in explaining, like, hey, listen, It's been tough, and we're trying to figure things out, but we've got a lot of new guys, and now you add in the injury issues. And, Alex, it it is not an excuse. I think we should put this out on the front end. It is not an excuse to say that there are chemistry things that need to be fixed on this team. It is an explanation Mm -hmm. as to what's going on. It's not the only problem they've got right now, but the chemistry does seem to be something that they need to get kind of sorted through over the next few weeks and months, honestly. Yeah, without question. And again, you know, I look like a dummy who said that this was going to be one of the best in Blues franchise history, but I didn't take into the 
consideration that they weren't going to have that normal offseason. They weren't going to have that normal prep time. And, you know, David Perron talked a little bit about what Barubi talked about before that last game against Arizona. And he said for him, it really changes things up when you have a left shot defenseman up at the point when for the last five or six years, it's been the right shot Alex Petrangelo. And you could tell, you could tell there was a little bit of flaw out there because Perron's used to his normal side where he can take that one-time shot coming from the righty. But when it's a lefty, that's switching everything up. And I think finally Craig Berube looked at it and said, look, there's no more chemistry on these power play units. We can keep O'Reilly and Shen and Schwartz and all these players that used to play in the number one unit. But the key cog in it all was the, was the defenseman. So let's switch it up. So we put Justin Falk up there. It's that right-handed shot mentality to go out there with David Perron. He put Hoffman back on that number one unit because if you're going to build chemistry, let's build it with the right pieces in yeah. place. And they scored that first goal the other night. And frankly, BK, I thought that was their best power play night on special teams. And they put pucks on net. Like they, they, Justin Falk, just he, he knew he had one job. I always hear this from coaches, right? Whenever you hear hockey coaches talking about the power play and, hey, it's struggling, well, what do you need to do? Well, we need to simplify things. Mm-hmm. All right, here's how you simplify things. Justin Falk, get on the ice and shoot. Yep. Whenever the puck goes near your, your stick, you shoot it immediately. And that's what he did. And right. he if that was his job last night or two nights ago now, then he he succeeded in every way possible. 100%. It's it's quick decisions with the puck, and that's what Justin Falk brought to it. And look at the way that that, that, that unit worked, BK. Ryan O'Reilly's winning the faceoff. You have two one-time options and Perron and Hoffman both on the offside, and then you got Sundquist who goes to the front of the net. That's how they like to run it. It's a 1-3-1 power play where they move the puck around and you can make quick decisions to get it on net. But to your point and to Craig Bruby's point, if you don't think chemistry has an effect on power play, Well, take the Vegas Golden Knights, for example. Vegas last season was the ninth best power play unit in the National Hockey League. You know where they're at right now? No. They're 20th. Really? So that's a team that has a new face on it in Alex Petrangelo, who's playing on the power play. A new quarterback on the power play. So, again, it's not a full excuse because they're getting opportunities. They need to score goals. But you got to give them a little bit of leeway when it comes to special teams play because you not only have one new face like Vegas is dealing with, you got three new faces on that unit now with Sunquist, with Hoffman, and with Tory Krug slash Justin Falk. I would also add one last thing. Speaking of Justin Falk, don't go all out on Tory Krug at any point this year. I learned this lesson the hard way with Justin Falk. I was out, totally out on Justin Falk. I didn't think there was any way he was going to be able to recover after what took place last year. Justin Falk, though, what I overlooked, and this is on me, nobody else, I overlooked the fact that if he's shown it before, it's possible he can get back to it again. And he has, he looks this year like the player the Blues thought they were trading for last year. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, and there's a million of them, he never really found that spot last year. He was never comfortable with his situation a year ago. It took too long for the chemistry to develop, and they ran out of time. Yeah. Tory Krug this year is in a similar spot. He's on a power play that is not familiar to him. He's in a role that is unfamiliar to him. It might take a while for him to get fully ingratiated with this team. It, I think it'll get there. Give it time. 
I didn't give it enough time with Justin Falk, and it came back to bite me. Give it a little bit more time if you're getting a little frustrated right now with Tory Krug. Well, and let's also understand that as frustrated as it is right now for Tory Krug, who may not look like the player you expected the beginning. He does have eight points in 13 games. He does sit at a plus 11, which both are top three on this Blues team right now. So maybe he's not the guy you thought he was right now, but he's still producing. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, Jared Diamond is a national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal. He wrote yesterday about what the spring training situation could like for base, look like for baseball. And I want to ask Jared if he believes that the NL is actually going to get the DH because I'm still not giving up total hope on that. We'll talk to Jared Diamond about it all coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. The one and only Jared Diamond, national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal, joining us here on the show. Jared, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm uh, hanging in there. How are you guys doing? Uh, pretty much the same, Jared. So let's start with this. Baseball actually had something productive happen yesterday between the Major League Baseball Players Association and the league itself. Are we are we feeling better now about baseball starting on time and we're actually going to play a 162 game season? Oh, it's starting on time. Uh, that is pretty much a, a set thing now. There's really no scenario where it doesn't start on time. Uh, we could argue about whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. We don't have any idea how it's going to go once they start. Will they actually get in all 162 games? Uh, I don't think we're going to know until we, we get there and are in the middle of it, but they are starting on time. Spring training, believe it or not, starts in a week. Opening day is going to be April 1st, and then we're off to the races. And uh, look, uh, it's going to be a very strange season. It is going to be, uh, I'm sure, have a lot of fits and starts and postponements and a lot of weird things happening, but uh, I hope you can smell it because spring training is in the air. Well, the one thing I think that people are a little frustrated about, Jared, with all of this uh, positive news is the fact that there's no DH coming for the National League. And I don't know if people expected that or were thinking that it was going to go that direction, but they decided at least not for this season. What the heck's going on with this? Yeah, that's a big frustration for everybody uh, because it's sort of a great insight into the current relationship between Major League Baseball and the Players Union. Because both sides want the DH and the NL. They all want it. Everybody wants it. And yet they cannot come to an agreement to make it reality because nobody wants to give anything up to make it so. Uh, the league has tried to tie the DH to expanded postseason, basically telling the union, we will give you the, the extra DH, the, the NL DH, if you agree to expanded playoffs. The union has said that is not a fair trade. Uh, and anyway, you also want uh, the expanded DH, and we want the expanded DH, so why should this be a trade at all? Uh, and the, the end result of that for now is that baseball is hurt, that baseball doesn't get something that clearly should be happening. Now, do I still think there's a chance between now and April 1st they come to an agreement that does uh, call for the DH in the National League? Yeah, I think it's still possible. In fact, 
I still get a hold out hope that it's going to happen until I physically see a pitcher batting. But as we sit here today, it isn't happening uh, for honestly no good reason. I guess, Jared, my question would be kind of in response to that. Why don't why doesn't baseball and maybe I should know the answer to this, but why doesn't baseball just give more of the percentage of the playoff money to the players and everybody ends up getting what they want? The players get an extra cut. You get the DH, which everybody wants, and the owners get the biggest thing here, which is the expanded postseason. Doesn't that seem like kind of the middle ground for all of this? You would think, but it isn't so simple. And the reason it's not so simple is that, yes, the players uh, could negotiate a bigger cut of playoff revenue, and the league would go for that in a heartbeat. In fact, that isn't the players' concern, uh, how much money they get from the playoffs. Their concern is what expanded playoffs are going to do to the competitive landscape. Uh, We all know that the union's biggest issue as we head into the CBA talks is competitive landscape uh tanking our teams trying our teams trying to win our too many teams quote unquote rebuilding uh the union believes yes in fact the union believes that a, many of baseball's sort of bigger economic problems are currently being caused by a lack of competitiveness among teams and their belief is that expanding the playoffs will make it worse where suddenly now you have teams that are sort of on the bubble on the cusp saying why would i spend on this free agent I'm going to make the playoffs anyway. Maybe I'll make a trade at the trade deadline to make myself better. But why would I go spend on that trade? I'm going to get into the postseason and get that sweet, sweet playoff money regardless. Uh, So that's what they're trying to figure out. What is the sweet spot to expand the playoffs that would both make everybody more money while also hopefully improving the competitive landscape, not making it worse? And look, at the end of the day, do I think that in the next CBA, there's going to be a universal DH and expanded playoffs, yeah, both of those are almost definitely going to happen. I think everyone believes that, uh, but they're just not ready to sort of rush into it right now, sort of on the fly, without knowing what the impact of it is going to be. Uh, so that's where we are. Now, look, remember, last year expanded playoffs didn't get announced until like five minutes before the first pitch of the season was thrown. So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that everything is out just because it hasn't been settled yet. So, Jared, the other, um, I guess, parts of this agreement from both sides were the extra inning double headers that we, well, not the extra inning, the double headers and the extra innings play. But let's hone in on the double headers because this was one I think that a lot of fans were hoping would come back. And at least from my understanding, both sides wanted this because, of course, it helps speed up the game. Yeah. So, actually, my understanding is that this was actually something being discussed between the league and the union before the pandemic even was a thing in our, in our minds. This was an idea that had been floated that, uh, you know, I don't know if it would have been adopted, but there at least was conversations about it and seemingly some movement in that direction. The pandemic obviously sped it up. Uh, my, I, I love the seven inning double headers. Uh, in fact, I would, I would take it a little bit further if I were sort of in charge, my dream scenario for the seven-inning doubleheaders is you have one every week, uh, a seven-inning doubleheader probably on Saturday. And, and the reason I say that is because it would have a huge impact on the schedule. If you play a doubleheader every Saturday, every team does, a seven-inning doubleheader, a split doubleheader so that the owners get their gate every Saturday, uh, what you could do 
is maybe instead of starting the season on April 1st, start it on April 15th. That saves you, you know, in some years, a couple dozen rainouts in the first two weeks of the season and snowouts. And it allows you to end the season a couple weeks early. How about September 15th is the last game of the season? And let's say October 15th is the last game of the World Series, no longer going to November, which to me is way too late for baseball to be going. If you could use these seventh inning doubleheaders to shorten the season, not, not fewer games, but literally on the calendar, uh, make the season shorter, I think that's good for everybody. Uh, and that's why I think a great advantage of these seven inning doubleheaders are, and hey, well, who wouldn't want to go back to the day of the scheduled doubleheader every week? That sounds like a lot of fun to me. I'm in. I, that was one of my favorite things that happened last year. I mean, among all of the rule changes, probably my favorite one was the seven-inning doubleheaders. And if you told me, hey, Cards-Cubs, doubleheader this Saturday, like I think every Cardinals fan would be into that. I, I think that's it makes a ton of sense. We're talking with Jared Diamond, national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, you can read his book, Swing Kings. He's the author of the book, Swing kings find that wherever books are sold jared what's the thing that you are now most interested in when it comes to this 2021 baseball season like now that we have some finality that it's actually going to take place on time we kind of know what most of the rules are going to be obviously dh notwithstanding what is the thing that you're most interested in kind of watching moving forward yeah look of course off the field the question is going to be how is this going to (laughs) go are they going to be able to get through the season are we going to have another Marlins Cardinals situation where a team is shut down for uh, a week or 10 days or two weeks and what impact will that have? It's going to be a little bit trickier to deal with that this year because they're playing uh, that, not that regional schedule, which means if you lose it, if the Cardinals lose like the whole series on the West coast or something like that, they don't get another chance to make it up. And how does that sort of happen? I don't know. So I'm curious in, uh, about that, of course. But at some point, I'm hoping to be able to turn my attention to what's going to happen on the field. It should be a really fascinating season. Who isn't excited to see the Dodgers and Padres duke it out in the NLS? So it's going to be a blast, it looks like. Uh, they probably are the two best teams in the major leagues, and they their stadiums are like a couple hours drive away. Who doesn't want to see Nolan Arenado play for the Cardinals and what that'll do uh, in the NL Central? Like, There's a lot to look forward to, which is why I just hope that this season at least sort of kind of resembles something like normalcy when we get going. Jared, not to bring all doom and gloom to this conversation, but I'm just curious. uh, Do you think that there's going to be any possibility that common ground can be found from both of these sides before the 2022 season? Or do you think this is going to get nasty as we continue to move along? It's definitely going to get nasty. And look, as we sit here today, it's hard to imagine how they come to an agreement just because the relationship is so sour, but I, I do want to caution that, uh, look, they're eventually going to have to get into a room and try to make a deal. And a work stoppage is devastating for everybody. And I think both, that's one thing they do agree that avoiding a work stoppage is a good goal. Nobody wants it to happen. It is bad for all. So I look, do I, I still think it's possible that they're able to figure something out to try to, to try to avoid that work stoppage. Once they're really at the edge of the cliff, suddenly uh, you have to kind of calm down the rhetoric and try to make a deal. I'm not saying there won't be a work stoppage. In fact, like, like I said, it's almost hard to imagine there won't be right now. But uh, I, I just I'm not really in the the business of saying there will definitely be a work stoppage. I just think that it's it's impossible to say that. 
And maybe it's wishful thinking, but I, I still think there is a path for them to, to figure this out as bad as things are now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get nasty, though. It's going to be real ugly. Last quick question for Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal. Jared, what's your impression of this Cardinals team now that they've added Nolan Arenado? Makes them a lot better. Uh, it helps that the NL Central uh, is terrible. Uh, you know, somebody has to win the NL Central, and I think there's a valid argument to be made that Arenado puts the Cardinals in a better position than anyone else to do it. Uh, so we'll see. I, you know, I'm not saying I sit here and look at the Cardinals as this great powerhouse, but once you, if you win your division, you got a chance, and I think the Cardinals probably have as good of a chance as anyone in a weekend NL Central. He's Jared Diamond, national baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal. Also, check out his book. It is called Swing Kings. If you haven't read it yet, you definitely should. You can find a link for that on his Twitter account, at Jared Diamond. Jared, always appreciate the time. All the best to you and the family, and hopefully we'll be talking about a, fingers crossed, successful baseball season here again soon. I certainly hope so. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. That's Jared Diamond here on 101 ESPN. Let's take a poll, quick poll question around the room. Do you think that the designated hitter will be implemented by the time the Cardinals take the field for the first regular season game? No chance. No chance because both t- both sides are too petty in terms of, well, I don't want to give this up. Well, I don't want to give this up. It's not going to happen this year. I'm not going to say no chance, but I'm going to say no. I think there's a slight chance. I'm going to hold faith. I held faith on Yadier Molina. It came true. Alex held faith on Nolan Arenado. It came to fruition. I gave up faith on Adam Wainwright. He's back as well. I'm gonna hold the I'm gonna hold the faith. I'm gonna say there is a designated hitter come game number one. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Tanner is making us lose our mind in here. Tanner, what wow, else is throwing me under the bus? I thought well, we were at break. No, come we're on, not guys. At break. Nothing. Back nothing, in 1955. Nothing that happens in break on this show does not end up on air. Yeah, come on. You got to know that. Come on now. Back in 1955, back in my day, you had pitchers that were hitting. You had hitters that were pitching. And everything in between. That's Tanner. Get off my lawn. I want the nine innings. I looked up the best hitting pitchers of all time. Tom Glavin's name popped up. He was one of them, right? And this is what his accomplishment was. His accomplishment as a hitter. He managed to hit above 200 in nine of his 22 seasons. First of all, the fact that the Mendoza line is the criteria to be a quote-unquote good hitting pitcher is kind of amazing. Second (laughs) of all, this also means that in 13 of his 22 seasons, he failed to hit above 200 in those individual years. I'm good with not seeing the pitchers hit this year. I'm all for the DH. I'm also all for the seven inning double headers, even though Tanner thinks that is a crime against humanity. I hate the seven inning double headers. You've made that very clear, my friend. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Fully music was like what it was back in the old days, right, T-Bone? Jazz is much nicer than what we oh, have today. Oh, my Stop. God. Stop it. <laughs> Who's Your Hulk Hogan? Hogan? Sound old. Uh, from the 314, guys, how many Cardinals do you think end up on MLB Network's top 100 players list? I started watching it last night. It seems like they're through the 100 to 80. Oh, so that's all the Cardinals that'll be on it. I'm curious. Who do, who do you guys think will make the top 100 from the Cardinals? Last year, uh, if I'm looking this up correctly, Jack Flaherty was at 28. Paul Goldschmidt was at 46. 
And Nolan Arenado came in at number nine. So you have three guys that are now Cardinals that would have made the list last year. Flaherty, Goldschmidt, and Arenado. How many How many guys do you think makes the MLB Network's top 100 players for this year? There's your list. The three guys Those you three. just named. I, I was going to say, I don't know if there's anybody. If Paul DeYoung would be on it, he would have been on it in the bottom. Yeah. If Yadier Molina would have been on it, I think he would have been on it around that uh, 80 to 100 range. So, you, I mean, you just named it. You got three players that are on it. Yeah, I, I think, bet you Flaherty drops from that too. I don't think he's I bet be you he'll be somewhere between fifty and seventy, yeah. somewhere in that range. Yeah, I think it's those three. I don't even, I can't even think of one other guy that I would even consider. I don't even head, heading into next year. The only guy I could think of that could jump into the one hundred would be Carlson. Maybe Carlson. I don't think Dion. I don't think Dion will jump in there. I think he will now that he's going to be. He's going to have a little protection I, in the lineup. I think he's going to have a better year, but I don't think he's going to be as good as we think. Just because kind of what Mark Reynolds said when he was with you guys earlier this week on Monday, he said, you know, there's more pressure on the guy batting behind those two because they're on base so much. And, you know, we've been talking about, well, you got to take the pressure off DeYoung. Well, we may be adding more to DeYoung's plate. See, I don't think so. And, and I was looking because they did a top 10 shortstops in Major League Baseball mm-hmm. now. I forgot when they did this. He did this. not make the top 10. He didn't make it, but Marcus Simeon was on the top 10. And if Marcus Simeon, who Simeon is... Simeon was awesome two years ago, He though. was, but he has not been consistently offense. No. I think when you look at his career OPS, it's around 747. Mm-hmm. I, I think when it comes to, what, seven years in the league for Simeon, DeYoung's been in the league for... Four or five. Four or five, five years. I think Paul DeYoung can be a Marcus Simeon or better. So if Simeon's in the top 10, I can see a Paul DeYoung making the top 10. That's interesting. Um, I I think of the guys that are most likely to make the top 10 ne- or top 100 next year, it would be, I think I would go DeYoung over Carlson, actually. Uh, really? I think DeYoung Just is next more year? likely to make the top 100 next year. I think Carlson's more likely to make multiple of these lists. Mm-hmm. I think DeYoung's more likely to make this list going into next season. Is there anybody else who you think could get up there? I, Next season, no, but I can think of a couple of others. What if Reyes ended up being the closer for this team? No. Is there any, if he is just dominant this year, lights out dominant, do you think there's a chance that he could make a list like this? I don't think Reyes, someone that I, you mentioned that just popped into my head. What about Gallegos? I Gallegos, think he's got yeah. a chance. To, he could have a good year. Gallegos or Hicks? I think if Hicks can have a rebound, see, he's I have at least more confidence in, the conversation. in Reyes than Hicks this year, which is interesting. I, 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 don't, I can see that. I don't just because Hicks is coming off of these the surgery, but he also skipped last season That's due true. to the pandemic and concern because he's a diabetic, um, which means he's been working in the offseason. It's not like he has been doing anything for two years. So I'd put more faith in Hicks over Reyes if we're talking closer. What's a scary thought? is we've heard how some guys come back from Tommy John and throw harder. Oh my God, he might be throwing 105 normally, guys. That's awesome. And, and he's actually 18 months removed. A lot yep. of times you see guys come back and it's one year, mm-hmm. and they say it takes probably closer to 18 months to get back to true form. Well, he, he skipped last season. He opted out, and now we're going to see him hopefully back up to 100%. And like you said, might mean even better than what he was before. I might throw him in the top 100 next year now. Look at T-Bone. I'm excited. T-Bone thinks he's number one. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 260. Guys, I love it, T-Bone. If you had to pick two, which would you choose? In the National League, seven inning doubleheaders or the runner on second to start the extra innings. Seven inning doubleheader, runner on second to start the extra innings or the designated hitter. You, you pick two. 
See, I didn't mind the runner on second to start extra innings because I was at a game one time where it went 17, and oh my gosh. Well, hold on, Mr. Traditionalist over here likes the runner at second base, but he hates the, the seven innings double headers. We, a lot of sports do stuff different in overtime slash extras. Hockey does five minutes, three on three. Yeah, I love Basket- it. I do too. Basketball does only five-minute quarter for overtime, so why can't baseball have a different overtime slash extra inning? Because your whole bar stool, your whole pedestal is, wow, these Seven inning double hitters are taken away from the game. They are, but I would say so you would keep the I would, would keep, keep the, the seven runner, on in, runner on second, and then I would get rid of the seven inning double header and put the DH in the NL. Wow. Well, okay, wow, interesting. Yeah, I would do the double hitter, and I would do the DH. I'd Same. get rid of that extra innings. That's that's where I'm at as well. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. What is the single most pivotal position for the Cardinals next year? If you could take one spot. Say this is the spot where they need to get good production, and if they do, it takes them, in the words of John Mosellock, from a good to a great team. We'll tell you what we think that position is coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Who's the most pivotal Cardinal going into next year? In fact, let's expand the conversation even a little bit from there. What is the most pivotal position for the Cardinals going into next year? With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So the reason why I'm asking this is because I was reading Derek Gould's chat yesterday. And he wrote, will the outfield produce... That's it, period. Will the outfield be part of the offense? If not, then the Cardinals will end up struggling. They need more than just Dylan Carlson's arrival and subpar offensive production from the outfield will, in fact, be a drag on what otherwise can be a pretty strong, well-rounded contending team. So he's saying the outfield as a whole. Let's narrow down to a position. Oh, Alex, what do you think is the most pivotal spot for the Cardinals going into next year? Um, Tanner, what do you think? I'll give Alex yeah, a little give more me time. time to think He's, on this one because I'm, I'm battling right now. What do you now. think is the most pivotal position oh. for the Cardinals going into Tebow's 2021? Pitching. I'm not because as I've, I just want to see if we're not going to sign a starting pitcher. I want to see the young guys see if they can handle going every fifth day. To me, the number one position that's going to be spotlighted this season is left field because I want to. If you look around, we've got the corners figured out. I think DeYoung's going to be your franchise shortstop. I'm okay with Edmund being at second base, at least short term, maybe even for a couple of years there. Center field, I think Bader's your guy in center field. I know people don't want to hear that, but I think he is the guy going forward, and I think Carlson's the guy going forward and right. So I want to know who's the everyday left fielder. And I'm last year I thought O'Neal was the guy. I thought he would take the a big step, and he really didn't. I'm curious to see what he does this year. I don't think Thomas is that guy. I'm curious to see if Justin Williams is that guy. I think left field's the spot that they're going to spotlight this season. And if they don't get anything out of those three outfielders, $60 million is coming off the books. And we mentioned a couple of the free agents that are on the market next year. They may go look at some of those guys. See, correct me if I'm wrong. Carlson played a lot of left field last year, he right? He did, but now he's going to be in right with, uh, with Dexter Fowler being gone. So he'll be playing right then. Yeah, I, I think, man, I, I'm torn because I want to say shortstop. Because I think that opens up a lot of questions for the Cardinals. Interesting. If, if Paul DeYoung doesn't hit like a number five hitter now with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt as the 3-4 punch, 
you got a pretty big weakness there, but it all ties back into Tyler O'Neill where T-Bone's at. So just to be different, I'm going to say shortstop because look, I, I, he's under, he's cost controlled. He's, he's, he's very good defensively, which gives you that position, but his bat is very pivotal for this team because if you don't have that third punch in a one, two, three with Arenado and Goldschmidt, that changes the dynamic of this team because you're not only searching for a three hole hitter, or I'm sorry, a five-hole hitter, you're also searching for a six-hole hitter with Tyler O'Neill. It's one that I didn't even think about, honestly, but it's a good it's a good answer, shortstop. I wouldn't have considered that. I So I put down my top three. You said one of them, Tanner. It was my number one, left field. I For me, that is the spot. Um, second base is another one. because And the reason why I bring up second is because if Tommy Edmond is who he was in 2019, his first year starting in the bigs, well, then the Cardinals have their leadoff, hitter ready to go Mm -hmm. they have a cost controlled cheap starting second baseman not just for the here and now but for the future and so what that really means is your infield set your infield moving forward after this year is set you know Paul Goldschmidt's going to be at first you know Edmund at second DeYoung at uh, short and you're going to have Arenado at third for the next three or four years those are going to be the guys and now it's about building around them so I think Tommy Edmund is definitely a pivotal guy and then to bring it back to Tanner Number two starter. Number two starter is another one. I feel really good about the pitching staff. I think they're going to be a a really real. I think they have the potential to be the best bullpen in all of baseball. I I think that highly of the guys that they're going to have in the bullpen this year. Do they have anybody that's going to step up as the legitimate number two starter? Where you know Jack Flaherty is going to be your number one. And when you get into that second spot, whoever that ends up being, do you feel confident about them going up against whoever the number two starter is for the Braves, the Mets, the Dodgers, or the Padres. That's what matters. And so for me, I would say to answer the question specifically, the most pivotal position for the Cardinals in 2021 is left field. After that, if you want to have some honorable mentions for me, I think it's second base and the number two starter. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are all very strong places. And I mean, that's the, that's the positive because if it wasn't for Nolan Arenado, third base, I think would be, at the top of this list, but luckily that's oh, yeah. been solidified. You know, another one that I think we should at least talk about is the closer position. And the reason I say that is because, look, you got certain guys right now. Your bullpen's deep, but we all remember last year towards the end of the season, like it seemed to be they had no closer options. Like Gallegos was the setup guy. He got those closing situations, but then you wondered kind of what was going to come from it. I feel very confident in oh, that yeah. bullpen. But I also wonder what the closer position is going to look like with what Jordan Hicks is going to be coming back with Gallegos. Is he going to be the closer? Do you put Carlos Arreyes there? It's an intriguing position for me, too. I think the upside is there with so many different guys that I'm not worried about it, is if that makes sense. Like Gallegos, Carlos Reyes, Hicks all have the potential, have the capability of closing out games if, if asked to do so. So I'm not worried about that. And so the, when it comes to the pivoting point, mm-hmm. I don't think that sh- the downside there is is just not very low. Yeah. I think you've got a pretty high floor at whoever your closer is, even if the name changes on a night-to-night basis. I think the floor on what you could get from left field in particular, I don't know what it is. It's a guy that you don't want to be starting every day. I asked this to Dan earlier. I'd be curious your guys' thoughts on this as well. If you could pick, if, you, if I gave you a button today, and it's a hypothetical button, button number one, 
Tyler O'Neill reaches his peak performance this year. He is the power hitting outfielder who has all of the speed and all of the tools that you could possibly ask for. And he hits that peak this year, whatever you think that is. But number two is Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas reaches his peak, whatever you think that is going into next season. If you could only hit one and the other guy struggles. So if you hit the Lane Thomas button, Tyler O'Neill is going to struggle this year. If you hit the um, Tyler O'Neill button, then... Lane Thomas struggles this year. Which one would you guys choose? I'm I'm choosing the Tyler O'Neill button because Tyler O'Neill does a couple of things to my lineup. His peak is going to be, like Dan said earlier, 30 home runs, 25 home runs for you. If he's driving in 30 with 80 or 90 RBIs, as Dan said, would be his peak. That changes a whole lot. Peak of Lane Thomas is peak of Lane Thomas is going to be, you know, an average Dylan Carlson at least from what we're understanding. Like Lane Thomas is the same player as the outfielders that you have. Tyler O'Neill is the difference maker because Tyler O'Neill peak has those bombs. So I'm pressing the button of O'Neill fast. I would too. I I think the peak for Tyler O'Neill has way more upside than the Lane Thomas. And the baseball has turned to a power hitting game. I, I again, I had the numbers a while back, but like the I think it's like seven of the last 10 World Series champions have been top five in slugging. To me, if he can peak and hit 30 home runs, even if he hits 220, 230 and strikes out a ton, you can live with him hitting sixth in your lineup and hitting 30 bombs because, as we mentioned on Dan's show, it just stretches out the lineup, makes it more effective. Again, I was super high on O'Neill heading into last season. I'm not so high on him this year. But again, I, I think he is a guy, I've compared him on the show before to being a guy that could be like a Randall Gritchett, which I think you would take playing in left field. Uh, okay, maybe. PK hold him. I, I, know, I know that people like what Randall Gritchick has done now that they're looking at the numbers and not watching him on a night-in, night-out basis. I don't think Cardinals fans would be super thrilled with what they, what they would be getting out of him if he was doing that here. I think I would hit the button for Lane Thomas. Really? I think so, because if Lane Thomas... If the Cardinals are right about him, because they told us all last offseason, man, if we just had Lane Thomas whenever we got into the playoffs, we think we could have potentially had a little more there for us. If they're right, if he's a guy that's going to hit 290, 300, he's going to get on base at a high clip, he's got a little bit of pop in that bat, and he's somebody that can help you on the base paths. If If they're right about that, I think that guy changes your lineup more than uh, more, more than a guy like uh, Tyler O'Neill does. I I think they could use another consistent hitter in their order. I've got Paul DeYoung already. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a nice power hitter for me. I'm getting power out of Goldie and Arenado. I fully expect Carlson's going to give you a decent amount of power in this lineup going into next year. Who's the guy outside of Goldie and Arenado that I feel confident are going to hit 280? going into next year. I don't think you have one. See, and I, would I think put that, that on Carlson, though. Yeah, I don't think Carlson's going to be the... I think he's going to be more of the contact on not base so percentage power. guy, not as much power. Yeah. Maybe. I think he's got some power in there, too, though. After watching him last year, I think he's got a little bit more power than I was expecting. And honestly, okay, sweet. If I've got two guys that profile similarly to, like, Ray Langford, Tommy Pham, yeah, I'll, I'll take that in my sure. outfield. I would I would rather have that for me. And maybe this is just a personal preference. Either of the two reaching their potential totally changes uh, what the Cardinals outlook looks like. But if I could have one of those two guys, I think I would go with Lane Thomas next year. Even though Tyler O'Neill has that, he has some special power. 
And so I would be very curious what it would look look like. If you could get 30 homers out of him, I, I do wonder what that looks like in their lineup. I think it's legitimately what do you want more of? More power or just a contact guy? Because to me, they're almost the same. They've sure. got decent speed. Both can play well in the outfield. Heck, O'Neill won a gold glove. So then it just comes down to do you are you willing to go more have more a guy that can strike out more but hit you possibly 20 to 30 home runs or do you want a guy that could be on base more be more of a contact guy maybe not so much the power guy 65780 is the air comfort service text line maybe this is part of it as well for me if Lane Thomas is the player the Cardinals think he can be what about him for the leadoff spot i think that's part of it as well if he is that guy now instead of having Lane Thomas slash Tyler O'Neill batting 6th I think Lane Thomas would be batting leadoff for me. And then you've got Thomas, Carlson, Goldie, Arenado, DeYoung. And then you get now down to the bottom of your order. I think I would probably then bat Edmonds sixth. And now you're going seven, eight, nine. If you've got the DH, we'll see. Um, with who else am I missing? You've got Yachty. Bader. Bader. And I think that would be it, right? Yeah. And then whoever you put at, D, at DH. Yeah. That's... I like the look of that lineup personally. Just real quick, I'm curious. Do you guys believe in having a quote unquote second leadoff in that nine spot? I I don't care. Um, I'm good with it either way. If so, if are we assuming there's a DH? So I was assuming there's a DH, and I would hit Edmund ninth because I I do kind of like sure. the idea of a double Edmund, leadoff. Well, I actually kind of like Bader batting ninth. Yeah, that's where I'm at for the top of the orders coming up. So he's actually going to have strikes to be able to hit. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I, I love the idea of Bader hitting ninth, even if there is a pitcher putting the pitcher eighth and having Bader hit ninth, because I do like that idea of speed at the bottom of the order, speed at the top of the order, and then get into the guys with, with solid contact numbers from three or two, three, four, five. The other thing that you get with Tommy Edmond there in the middle of the order is he's a switch hitter. So if you hit him sixth, now you've got a switch hitter in the middle of your lineup coming up right after Goldie, Arenado, DeYoung. And I like the look of that yeah. as well. I I think having Lane Thomas batting leadoff would be a real game changer for the Cardinals. From the, but it takes him being good. From the 618, we all know it's going to be Carp. <laughs> With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie Coming up next, oh boy, the player empowerment era has officially reached the NFL. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm not a fan. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Are you involved in personnel decisions? Have you been involved in personnel decisions? Not, not as much. I don't, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for, do you want to be involved Russ? Yeah, I, I think it helps. I think it helps to, to, to be involved more. Um, but I think that's that dialogue should, should happen more often, in my opinion. Oh, boy. Here we go. It's time, boys. It is officially time. The player empowerment era is in the NFL. It started and eh, it didn't start, but it, it really came to a crescendo with the Deshaun Watson news earlier this offseason. And now it continues with Russell Wilson, that audio courtesy of the Dan Patrick show. Russell Wilson talking about how. Kind of wants a little bit more say in the personnel decisions. He was asked if he thinks that the Seahawks have had any trade conversations with him. He basically said that's a Seahawks question, sir. And <laughs> I am I am very curious what the end point is for all of this. And I also am curious what the starting point was. Because I think a lot of people today heard those comments and they were like, wow, he learned something from Deshaun Watson. I think he learned something from Tom Brady. I think what he saw was Tom Brady go down to Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay 
signed his friend or traded for his friend Rob Gronkowski, signed his friend Antonio Brown. When he said, hey, let's go get Leonard Fournette, they brought Leonard Fournette in. Anything Tom needed, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers made sure to give him when and if he needed it. I think that's what Russell Wilson was watching going into this offseason. He saw him win that Super Bowl, and he's like, hey, it can clearly be done. I think the big question now is, should it be done? Now, can it be done? Because it can. Should it be done? How much should these players have say in what their teams are doing? You know, my response to Russell Wilson would be, you go win seven Super Bowls and five Super Bowl MVPs, and then you can dictate what happens in the offseason for us. I mean, I understand where these players are coming from because they do have a right. They've signed this contract. They're the face of the franchise. They do have the right to go and tell the ownership, like, hey, I think we need this. But that doesn't mean if the ownership or the president of baseball football operations or the general manager says, okay, I appreciate your intake. We'll think about it. That, that doesn't mean the player gets to go, fine, I want to go somewhere else than the, to where I can dictate. I'm not a fan of that. Like, I mean, I know we're seeing that right now in football and we're seeing that in basketball, but at least in football, it's not to the degree that basketball has been with like James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Kyrie Irving, where they like refuse to come to the court mm-hmm. because they want to be traded. But I, I don't know. I'm just not in on this with Russell Wilson saying, well, look, if I don't get to be a part of the decisions or Deshaun Watson, if I don't get to be a part of the decisions then they get to go elsewhere, I understand it, but I don't think that should be the be all end of, of somebody's career because you're a part of this team. This team is not, you aren't the team. If that makes any sense. I agree with that. You aren't the team. I agree. The player should have some sort of input. I saw this this morning on Get Up. Russell Wilson now holds the record for the most seasons with 40-plus sacks at eight. I think he has reason to come out and say, hey, I want to have more input now. He shouldn't be going to the GM or the yeah, the GM and be saying, hey, we need a cornerback. You know, we need to help our defense. No, I understand him going to the front office and saying, guys, I need some help. I'm sure that's where his frustration is coming from is, hey, I want an offensive line. I haven't had one. And I think that's understandable for Deshaun Watson if he were to say something like that. Hey, I need more weapons at wide receiver. Or, hey, we need a ben, Big Ben went to Pittsburgh and said, guys, I'm coming back, but we need a running game. That's fine. Throw out those suggestions. But I, I don't want to see it become like it is the NBA where they say, hey, it's my way or the highway. Like, come on. You're not the general manager. You're there to put a performance on the field. And then if you want, fine. When you're done playing, then go become a general manager and make these kind of decisions. It's interesting because I remember last offseason, I don't know how many um, non-Chiefs fans read this quote, but the Chiefs called Patrick Mahomes when they were getting ready to make their first round pick. They called him and they said, hey, what do you think about adding another running back to the mix. Now, he was obviously going to be thrilled, and that's something where it wasn't so much they were asking for his opinion, but they they made him feel like he was included in the process, even if he wasn't, even if he had no input whatsoever. He felt like he was included in the process. That's a dangerous game. It, it can be, absolutely, and we saw that with Deshaun Watson, right? They They made him feel like he was going to be involved in the process. He didn't actually end up being involved in the process, and then that's how this kind of came to a head and that's the houston's dumb fault because if you're going to include him then include him don't include him and then do something the polar opposite of it meanwhile in green bay they could not care less what aaron Rodgers had to say in new england tom brady had zero say in personnel decisions it just wasn't something they were going to be willing to do and so it's very very rare for a quarterback to rise to the level to be valued enough to be a guy that legitimately has input on these kinds of things Patrick Mahomes has has approached that level. He is now going to be there for the next 10 years. 
they are basically partners at this point in time. Patrick Mahomes is a part is a partner, essentially, almost a part owner of the Kansas City Chiefs for the next 10 years. Paying him enough for it's it. It's weird to say, but it's true. He's going to make $500 million from the team. Um, I think Russell Wilson is on the cusp of that. If you're the Seattle Seahawks and you get rid of Russell Wilson, what is your identity? Who are you as a team now? Russell Wilson is synonymous now with the Seattle Seahawks. It wasn't that way once upon a time. He wouldn't have had that kind of sway in 2014, 2015 when it was a legion of boom. He shouldn't have had that kind of say in 2014, 2015. Now, if Russ is saying that he wants some input and his input is, hey, can you guys give me a little bit better of an offensive line? I'm running for my life back here. I'm getting sacked 40 times every season. I think the Seahawks should probably go ahead and listen to that. That seems reasonable to me. Now, if he's saying trade my left guard, trade our starting cornerback, I need that guy cut and you need to go sign that guy for $15 million, that guy for... No, like the, the, we can we can do this stuff within reason, but I I think it's fair for certain guys and you got to be really elite to rise to this level. But for certain guys to talk, have constant conversation with the general manager, the coach about, hey, where are we? What are we doing to get better? How do we get to that next level? And I think if I had to read between lines, I, I hope that's what Russell Wilson is saying here. But I don't know. And, and I do think there's going to be some guys that are below this cutoff line that try to do this, that it ends up being a problem. And if we're going to talk about Aaron Rodgers, look, Rodgers has been upset about the franchise not going out and getting pieces that he's talked about, Mm -hmm. but what does he do? He goes out there and performs every week, and he doesn't come out and say, ah, well, I feel like I should be a part of the decisions. Uh, He has said that. (laughs) But he goes out there and performs. Yeah, he does. Um, But he he was a malcontent for a while. It, It wasn't like Aaron Rodgers was like a happy soldier. He... He was a guy that took plenty of subtle jazz organization as well. So Russ is not the first to do this, but now it's just becoming seemingly more constant. By the way, can I let you guys hear the worst take in the history of sports? Because it... it, Was it something I said? Because then no. I've had some real bad takes on this show. I mean some some spectacularly bad takes. That's true. You've had some horrifying takes. No, they've just been mediocre. Tanner has had horrifying just on take. this show today. Yeah, has had some really bad ones. That's true. It was supposed to be off air, but whatever. Well, it none, was bad. none of those rose to the level of Rob Parker on Fox Sports One. Tom Brady has officially become the Robert Ory of the NFL, <laughs> oh, and no one wow. has ever said Robert Ory with seven championships wow. is the is the greatest basketball player. And guess what? Robert Ory's had more clutch moments than Tom Brady. He's made big shots in big moments, and he's won. You have to look at it in context. Rob Parker will stand up. Rob Parker will not bend over. Rob Parker will not bow down. Rob Parker will not change his stance. He's the most accomplished, but he ain't the greatest. Hold on. Is he saying Robert Ory is the greatest? Yeah. He, he said, well, no, he's he's saying if you think that Tom Brady's the greatest football player of all time, you also have to believe that Robert Horry is the greatest basketball player of all he time. He does understand that Robert Horry was on teams with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal and Tony Parker and Tim Duncan. Like, he understands that, like, he made a clutch shot, but, you know, they had other clutch performers that were putting up 50 points a game. Oh, you're telling me that Robert Horry wasn't the best player on his team? No. 
You think Kobe? You, you, you're no. you're going to ride with Kobe. That That's going to be your decision. No, you know what? Rob Parker's smart. Alex Ferrario's going to stand with Rob Parker. Alex Ferrario will not bow down to Rob Parker. Alex Ferrario will say that Tom Brady is Robert Horiax. Coming up next, Carrie Frazier's going to join us, former NHL referee. What the hell is going on with all these calls that are going against the Blues? Is that on the Blues or the refs? We'll ask a former ref about it coming up next. Who the hell do you think you are? He got to go! He got to go, man! This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Former NHL referee. He called 1,900 regular season games, 12 Stanley Cup finals, over 261 Stanley Cup playoff games. He is Kerry Frazier joining us here on the show. Kerry, we sincerely appreciate the time today, my friend. How you doing? Brandon, I'm doing great. Uh, you're reaching me in Aruba, so uh, I have to tell you, my weather, according to my daughter in St. Louis and her family, is much better here than it is where you are. Yeah, uh, let's see here. I'll look at my phone real quick. It says that it is currently 16 degrees here, but, you know, that's not the real temperature here in St. Louis. <laughs> we do that feels-like thing. My my phone says that it feels like it's 3 degrees. So, Carrie, go to hell. <laughs> I don't need any of this. That's totally unnecessary. <laughs> that's hockey weather, baby. I'm a Canadian at heart. Yeah, well, we know you're the Canadian at heart, Kerry. And speaking of Canadian at heart, you know, we have a we have a teammate here, Jamie Rivers, if everyone remembers. We call him a former superstar NHL defenseman. Uh, I'm sure you have at least one good story of Jamie Rivers as a pro hockey player. Am I right there, Kerry? Um, Jamie, Jamie who? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I go back, I got a memory like a steel trap. Jamie, Jamie you said Rivers? Yeah, yeah. The Jamie, one and only. Nice soul patch, a nice Jamie, flow. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that guy. He's the one that uh, that got steamrolled behind the net uh, by Detroit Red Wing, uh, Marty uh, LaPointe. I, I remember that hit. Yeah, I remember Jamie Rivers. <laughs> sure. Actually, no pun intended. Jamie is a great guy. Uh, he played 554 games in the league. Uh, he's a stand-up guy. I had a great relationship with him. You know, in, in the 554 uh, games he played, he averaged 1.17 penalty minutes over all those games. So he obviously was not a guy that I had a problem with. He wasn't <laughs> on my radar screen like some others. And, you know, just a great guy, a uh, good guy for me to deal with. Uh, he was a stand-up player. He stood up for his teammates. He was a big guy, uh, could throw a great body check. Uh, but uh, in terms of scoring and things, like he got 17 goals and 49 assists, and that capped out at 66 points. And I know he could have scored more, but I heard the rumor that he really had an affection for Super Mario Lemieux, and he wanted to stop scoring and have his points to match Mario's number on his back. We're going to follow up with him on that one, Kerry, because I think that's right. He, he's superstition with Jamie Rivers, the former number that, six, that 66 points. I think you're on to something there, Kerry. Uh, big, big time. Uh, you know, the guys have little quirks, and, and it was my job to figure them out so I could get along with them. He's Kerry Frazier joining us here on the show. All right, Kerry, let's talk about those penalties because it's it's a problem right now for the Blues. 
from what you've seen so far in the league this year, is this a, is this a matter of the league calling things differently? Is it just that the Blues need to get their stuff together? What have you seen in terms of the officiating so far this NHL season? Well, for, for players and teams, uh, we have to recognize, first of all, that you have to play within the standard that's being set. Um, you know, the... The, the very best player in the league can be nullified by inconsistent or inadequate officiating. Uh, let's look at this current season with COVID. Uh, you know, minimal training camp, no exhibition games, and that includes the officials. They did a virtual training camp. They did their testing uh, virtually on a, on a, uh, on a bike um, with a group of guys, uh, you know, on Zoom chat. So uh, you got to cut people some some breaks but when i say the big but this is a shortened season kind of like we had in 1995 when the players went on strike and uh we came uh with a shortened season uh you had to be bang on as an official you could not um come into a game and be the result of a team losing a point or a win or loss situation because at the end of the the line in a shortened season every point really matters so the officials have to ramp up uh, big time. And the other thing that I know Jamie Rivers uh, will agree with me on is the depth chart. When you look at a team franchise like the Blues or any other franchise, you have to look at what's where the feeders are, what's, what's coming up in the pike, in the system. And there's been transition in the officiating ranks. And if you look at uh, the, the roster that I sent Alex, uh, you'll see that there are a number of officials, the young guys that are working American League in some NHL games. Uh, they have very little experience, uh, certainly at the NHL level, but even more so uh, at the, the minor professional, the American Hockey League level. Guys are being recruited that were former players. They're coming in fast. They're being fast-tracked out of necessity. Um, you know, you mentioned my stats. I mean, 12 Stanley Cup finals, uh, over 2,000 games of experience. But I had three and a half solid years in the American League, the Central Pro League at the time, the IHL, and everything conceivably uh, back in that era, and I'm talking the 70s, uh, was late 70s, Broad Street bullies and things of that sort. Everything that could possibly happen to you as a referee uh, happened in the minor pro leagues. So you were well prepared. I'm talking, you know, garbage cans being thrown on the ice by coaches and, mm -hmm. and just bench clearing brawls and you know, <laughs> just wild stuff. So when I went into St. Louis and Chicago was playing and we had line brawls and we had bench clears, I'd already seen that like so many times throughout my minor league career. It was just old hat. You knew instinctively what to do. But the young guys today, the newbies uh, with the officiating crew, uh, don't have that. They haven't had that experience yet. They're learning on the job. Uh, they've got to really be good. The NHL has a solid core of, of go-to guys. And I'm talking the West McCauley's and the Kelly Sutherland's and, and guys of that sort. Tim Peel, uh, local St. Louis mm -hmm. resident, good bud of mine. Yeah. Peels, he was, you know, he was set to retire this year. But based on the fact that they needed some a guy with experience, you know, can you give us another year sort of thing? Um, and and that's, uh, that's where they're at. I think uh, coaching is crucial. No differently than the St. Louis Blues have an awesome coach, good friend of mine, uh, and a great staff there, they have to bring their young guys along very, very quickly. Not quite as uh, 
uh, as solid in the officiating. Money is not often spent as much uh, with an officiating budget as a team would. Uh, but they really need uh, to have guys um, do some coaching. Uh, that's crucial. Not every good player is a good coach, and the same is true that not every good official becomes a good supervisor or coach in sharing the trade. You have to be pretty cerebral, uh, and I think that uh, uh, experience can be a great teacher, but you can uh, share experiences that someone that has been there a long time Uh, You can share those experiences in a sit-down over breakfast, uh, watching tape, and, uh, you know, coach in that sort of way. Even if it's it's virtually, uh, given the fact that we have COVID concerns and there's been games that have been canceled uh, as a result or postponed, I should say. Uh, So there's a lot of of things on the table right now with this season, and I think... uh, while we like to point fingers, uh, I think we have to uh, expect that to some degree uh, there's going to be uh, some pains and some suffering uh, this year. Uh, they'll get it right eventually, but uh, there's going to be a cost, I think. All right, Carrie, I just want to let you know I'm the player to be named later. Uh, I cannot believe you didn't remember who I was. My feelings are hurt, Carrie. <laughs> I am. I was in a corner crying for five minutes. I had to compose myself. <laughs> oh man, I got to tell you, you you're you're an ace, man. I love dealing with you and guys like you because uh, they're they're now. You know your counterpart with the Blues, Bernie Federko, Hall of Fame guy, great guy. But man, did he ever shoot his trap off a lot? I'm going to tell you a quick story, guys. Quick story. Bernie, for some reason, Bernie and I just didn't mesh real well. He was a great player, but I had a, a game in St. Louis, and we finished at the end of the game in a sort of an FU contest. Well, I, I've got the next game back to backs, and it's in Chicago the next night. Bernie is facing off against uh, Denny Savard. So Savvy had something to ask me like before I dropped the puck. So I was just talking to him. Bernie said, would you shut up and just drop the F and puck? <laughs> I, said, I said, really? We're going to start already? And I threw the puck down as hard as I could. I think it bounced up to my waist. And you know what happened? It was it was like a miracle. Bernie got a penalty. Fifteen seconds. Oh my later. god! He's, I'm sure he was thrilled with that. <laughs> oh baby! Oh my god! I just think he was jealous of your hair, Carrie. Bernie likes to bring the hair game too, and I think it was just oh, it was just intimidation yeah. for him. Well, I, I uh, he's terrific. Uh, you guys do a terrific job, Jamie. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, to reconnect with guys. We've got a golf organization uh, that's private that uh, we have. Uh, legends, uh, 26 Stanley Cup winners and four Conn Smythe trophies in our private uh, golf organization around North America. And uh, for me, the relationships that I was able to develop, some not so good at the time, like uh, (laughs) Knuckles Nylon, let's say. Oh, yeah. Uh, Knucks and I are best buds now. Uh, We've done some charity events together. And and hockey people, generally speaking, are the best of any athletes going. They're great people, uh, you know, whether they're for one team or the other, when they get traded, it makes no difference. Uh, Claude Lemieux is is a good buddy oh, of mine. Pepe Lemieux. <laughs> oh, Pepe, yes, for sure. So, I mean, uh, that's the beauty of this great game we have. We can look back 
and and we're still uh, you know as fresh as as the day we started with with great memories and uh, great relationships uh, within the game. Yeah, for sure, Kerry. All right, I'm going to give these guys back their show. <laughs> I just wanted to come in and bug you, but I love you, Kerry. I hope you're doing good, brother, and uh, we'll talk soon. Take care of yourself. Thanks, James. Feeling mutual. Be well, friend. Thank Kerry, you. appreciate you hopping on with us today. If you missed it, it is Kerry Fraze, your former NHL referee. He is the author of The Final Call. You can find that wherever books are sold. Kerry, thanks so much for joining us today. Apologize for uh, Jamie Rivers intruding in this conversation, <laughs> but all the best, man, and enjoy your time in Aruba. Well, thank you so much. And, and listen, it wasn't an intrusion. Jamie is terrific. I love the man. Uh, he was a great guy to deal with on the ice. And, and you guys have an asset there uh, the with, with Jamie and your crew. Absolutely. And thanks a lot. Uh, love to my uh, little family uh, in St. Louis, uh, little Luke and, and Roman. Uh, they're listening. So uh, they just left uh, Aruba, too. So they're battling the Ooh. snow with you. Rude awakening yeah. for them to Wolf. go from that to this. Kerry, <laughs> thanks so much for the time, man. All the best. Anytime. Bye now. You got it. That's Kerry Frazier joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, One thing that I do find very um, heartening about hockey is that you can have conversations like that where Jamie just blows through the door. And for those of you that don't know, that was not planned. Jamie just decided, hey, I'm going to come in and I'm going to bang down the door because I got to talk to Kerry Frazier. Of course. It's pretty cool how many great relationships come out. What he said is not inaccurate there. Mm Mm-hmm. The relationships are what you take away from some of these guys. It's, it, it was cool to learn that, yeah. having worked alongside Jamie with you, Alex, but to see it even with the officials is, is yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, and Kerry's got some incredible stories, too, uh, especially him refereeing a lot of Blues-Blackhawks games. So that's you know Say one of the least. main reasons was because of the officiating, and I think he makes some great points about younger groups of guys kind of being brought up into the league today. But then you get stories like that, and that's that's when that's the fun part about hockey. He is Alex Ferrario. That is Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer with the single thing that brought a smile to my face yesterday. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Let's dive into the juncture. All right. We all know that things are a little different right now. If you are somebody that works in an office building, there's a good chance that you're doing a lot of your business right now via Zoom. The same is true if you are an attorney going to um, a proceeding, right? My buddy in Kansas City is an attorney, and he's doing a lot of his stuff through Zoom to Zoom into the court proceedings. The same is also true down in Texas. And in Southwest Texas yesterday, there was an unbelievable moment where two attorneys, the prosecutor and the defense. Oh, this is great. Are on the Zoom along with the judge to get ready to give their arguments right to the judge. Well, what took place right thereafter as they were all getting set is this. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to... Uh, can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the- it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. I can, I can see that. <laughs> I'm here live. I'm not a cat. 
uh, we're prepared to go through with this case, Can regardless you, of the filter. So they didn't end up having to do so. They, they they allowed him to switch computers and make make sure everything was good. Can you imagine? Like, how could that judge be impartial? How? How could you possibly go into that meeting and hear? I don't know what that argument was going to be. I have no idea. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the argument was. If I was that judge, there is no way I could take that gentleman seriously ever again. No, no way. I would have to recuse myself. And, and let's be honest here. Can we all agree that he said he has an assistant in there trying to get that filter off? He had at least six assistants <laughs> in there that were clicking buttons going, oh, sir, I don't know how to get... I don't know how to get this filter off. This is somehow like the 12th most embarrassing thing that we've heard that somebody did on Zoom. Yeah, I mean, at least he's showing a cat picture right now rather than some people who have shown a lot worse. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I'm all here. I am 100% here for your embarrassing Zoom call stories. If you had a kid... That ended up making you into a filter that you were not prepared for. Oh, yeah. I'm all here for any of your stories that have taken place over the last almost calendar year now since we've been going to all zoo. Or maybe you left your camera on and you were in the shower well, or maybe I, you forgot I, pants were on. I mean, let's let's hit them. Six, five, seven, eight, oh. Air covered service text line, right? I don't think we need those stories. Oh, come on. You asked the question a couple of days ago, BK, if anybody walks around their house naked. Yeah, it was a fair question. No, not a fair question. That was during the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Have you ever done a Zoom without one? What? What? Tanner, you can't just ask a gentleman that. Yeah, Tanner, you don't just walk up to... That's like walking up to a female and asking how much they weigh. You don't ask a guy if he's ever done a Zoom without pants on. Well, hey, I'll admit I've done one without pants (laughs) on, so... Okay. What's going on? Let's let's get out of here. Do I ask the follow-up or no? No, he's yeah, 21. It's not. Why, why were you doing a Zoom with no yeah, pants? Yeah, well, was this a running, Zoom? I was running late. Or was I got this like a cameo shower. thing? This was a Zoom. This was back when I was. I won't say that part, but it was a, it was a class. It was a class Zoom meeting. I got out of the shower. I forgot that it started at this time and not this time, so I was late. And I just had a shirt, so I threw the shirt on, and then I just didn't go. And get you're a just pants. sitting there. No, well, okay. Just I had, free tanner. I, no, no, I, had, I had underwear on. That's fine. Oh, oh that's totally different. That's different. Okay, you that's said totally naked different. with no pants on. No, I just on. said no pants on. Oh. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line. I need all of my teacher stories. <laughs> oh my all god, all my teacher stories. I just realized this after reading this one from the three one four guys. I'm a middle school teacher. Last semester, while we were totally virtual, my toddler came up next to me and said, Dad, I just pooped. (laughs) That's great. What's even better, I would imagine, is what some of the kids did on these Zooms. I can't. Kids already say the damnedest thing in person. I can't imagine. Some of the only some of the things that were taking place from those kids on the Zoom. Have you seen that viral video of the the Zoom where a middle school teacher and she and she farts on the Zoom and she tries to play it off and all of the kids just bust out laughing like <laughs> what was that and they lose it. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line. It was T Bone's only. T Bone was this your only fans, <laughs> huh? Were you only fansing it? Coming up next, the <laughs> Cardinals rotation might have to wait for an upgrade till the deadline. We'll explain it coming up on 101 ESPN. I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You know, right now, I think we're pretty confident with the team we have going into camp. Um, I wouldn't rule out perhaps a few non-roster invitees that could be added, but overall we feel pretty good about what John Moselock sounds like he's happy with his team. That was him yesterday during the 
Yadier Molina re-introductory press conference that they had via Zoom. Derek Gould made an interesting point in his chat. Somebody asked him, hey, what do you think about Max Scherzer as a potential free agent candidate next offseason for the Cardinals? He's in his last year under contract with the Nationals this year. Derek Gould didn't totally shut this one down. He said, quote, the Cardinals will be keeping an eye on the available starters going towards the trade deadline in July. Check the standings and see where the Cardinals are in the division and where teams like Washington are. And consider that the Cardinals would be looking for moves to strengthen their October look. A good place to do that is adding a dominant starter for a short series. That would be a place for the Cardinals, if they're contending and if they're leading, that they could go shopping. End quote. Again, that came from Derek Gould in his chat over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Fully recommend reading the whole thing over there. Now, Tanner has told us, I think 17,000 times over the last four days. keeps talking about it, too. The Cardinals have a little bit of a hole in their rotation. He would like to see them go get Jake Odorizzi. (laughs) I have said, and I believe, I think the Cardinals are trusting that last spot to go to Carlos to start. And then if he doesn't work out, maybe you try Alex Reyes, maybe try Ponce de Leon. You get further into the season, you try one of the younger guys, and we'll see where we go from there. What if this is the plan? What if the plan is, let's see what the Cardinals starting rotation looks like early on. We'll we'll kind of play this thing out. And then once we get closer to the deadline, mid-July, if, and let's just use his name as a placeholder here, Max Scherzer becomes available. We'll go acquire Max Scherzer because we still have about $10 million to play with. Cardinals are, are right now about $10 million below where they were last year in payroll. I wonder if they're keeping the gunpowder dry basically right now to find out what they can do and maybe even make a big move, which I know has not been the MO for Mo recently. Nice. What if he makes that big move at the deadline this time around? I love the idea of it. And because you're doing two things, you're seeing what you have, which has been a mindset for this Cardinals team, not a transition anymore, but finding out what these pieces truly are for your team. And if not, you go out there and make a move, right? Like, uh, Max Scherzer, now, the caveat with that is where the, the Nationals are, and I don't see the Nationals being out of contention come trade deadline time, but if they feel like they can't bring Max Scherzer back, which I don't know why they wouldn't, you might move him just for some pieces regardless. But there are other teams out there that you can make that move with, BK. I mean, let, let's look at the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks, maybe you make a move for a Madison Bumgarner if he's available. The idea, oh, that's right, baby. There's a, the idea of going. Don't talk to me like I know, that. I know that was strange. <laughs> T-bone, <laughs> never T-bone talk to me like that ever again. <laughs> the idea of of looking at the trade market at deadline time, where teams just want to get something for a player, and you have the assets because you didn't have to give up much for Nolan Arenado. So I love that idea. Rather than pay the money for Jake Odorizzi for two or three years, go out there and get a guy who can be a three starter or a two starter or heck if it's Max Scherzer a 1A starter for you rather than just sign somebody just to be signing somebody see I'm okay with that if you want to go do it at the trade deadline but I want it to be a multi-year guy because I want someone that I can rely on once you lose Carlos Martinez KK and Adam Wainwright next year from the rotation well that's when you go young yeah. Next year should be when you next when you're year, really going Reyes, Liberator, Thompson, but throw I, all of those guys at the but rotation. But I want next one year. guy there too to support that cast for next year because Hudson's going to be coming back from Tommy John, and then Michaelis the only other guy, and Flaherty. okay, Michaelis and Flaherty. But I wouldn't mind having three guys that we would know something about, and then leave the other two for we'll, we'll see what we have heading into spring training. 
I love the idea of if it comes to the deadline that you're going to get a Scherzer, but then you're going to have to trade some, maybe a top, I don't know if it's going to be a top prospect, but you're going to have to give up something. Yeah, rather than I if mean, you sign qualify, a free oh, agent. Yeah. They'll give him the qualifying offer, so you, it's got to be something better than a late first round Let me pick. ask you guys this then. If it came down to it, and this is a hypothetical world, I know, I'm throwing this out there. If if you were able to get Max Scherzer for Nolan Gorman, would you pull that off? At the deadline? At the deadline. Yes. If I think that the Cardinals can win the World Series this year and that Max Scherzer's the thing that puts them over the top, the answer is yes. If I don't if I don't believe that, if I don't sincerely believe that you can win the World Series this year with Max Scherzer, then no, no chance. What if you can get him back though and re-sign him and keep him around if for a couple more years? If it's with the understanding that he's going to re-sign, I'd pull that off. I'd pull that off right now. It's really interesting. Um I mean, you got the Mizzou alum, you got a guy who wanted to be in St. Louis. He's going to cost you, but let's be frank here. Going into next offseason, we've already talked about it. There's two areas that you're going to have to upgrade with all the money coming off of the books. I think the, the, the tough thing with Scherzer is he's thirty. He's going to be 36 this year. Mm-hmm. He'll be 37 the following year. Do I want to re-sign a 37-year-old Max Scherzer? No, you just signed a 37-year-old or however old Adam Wainwright is. Right. I know, but am I trading away Nolan Gorman? for the right to re-sign a 37-year-old Max Scherzer? I think the answer is no, but again, this this comes down to how desperate are you? Mm-hmm. How, how how much do you believe that guy changes your, your World Series chances? And if you think he's the piece that puts you over the top, regardless of if you're re-signing him or not, you do what it takes to get it done because that's the entire goal of all of this is winning a World Series, especially in what could be the final year for Yachty and Wayno here in St. Too Louis. Too bad Scherzer's not a Rocky. Well, yeah, Otherwise, you true. just trade up Justin Williams for Max Scherzer, and we're good. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. Guys, you do realize that Scherzer also wants to be here. He would definitely sign back easily if the Cardinals could make a reasonable offer. For sure, it's just going to... It always comes down to money, though, regardless if you want to be somewhere. He, he wants a reasonable offer, and for Scherzer, unlike what you're getting right now for Wayno, I think it's going to be closer to $15 million, oh, yeah. dollars, even if he wanted to take a one-year deal. So that... That is a lot. It's a significant amount of money, and I do want to see those young guys getting some opportunities. So it, it becomes a little more difficult there, but, I mean, it's Max freaking Scherzer. Mm-hmm. Of course, if, if you could get him, you go get him. The other thing with the Gorman scenario is, one, will there be a DH? We assume there's going to be at some point. And two, do you see him playing somewhere else? Do you feel comfortable with him putting him at left or putting him at second? Because he's not going to be a third baseman, which he no. is currently. Because you've got Arnado there for the foreseeable future. If I can, if I if I'm the Cardinals and I honestly say, okay, maybe he could be a DH, but I don't feel comfortable with him in left. I don't feel comfortable with him at second. Then yeah, I move him. Whether or not I am have a legitimate shot to get a max or to win a World Series, because then I get Scherzer and then I can start working on the potential of an extension. But do, do you want to extend a 37-year-old Max Scherzer? Is that something that you're like, man, I, I got to I gotta bring this guy back? I wouldn't I wouldn't mind doing it, do a two-year deal, because you look at the car. I mean, we've brought Wainwright back at 40. I know, but not all pitchers age the same I know. way. I, I don't know how Scherzer's going to look Scherzer's, three years from Scherzer's now. Scherzer's more of a fastball guy yep. compared to Wainwright, who's a curveball guy. I still, again... It would depend how he does look, but I I would be intrigued to see Scherzer on a two year deal. I, sure. I think he's a good enough pitcher to where even when he loses velocity on his fastball, he's still a good enough guy that could be a solid two, if not an ace. Still. The other thing that we got to remember is what's the opportunity cost, right? So Nolan Gorman is a super valuable trade chip. The Cardinals don't have to trade him for Max Scherzer. 
The Cardinals could instead wait until the offseason and then trade him for something else that maybe even impacts them more. Maybe it's a cheap, young, cost-controlled position player or pitcher that you feel like helps you longer term. The only reason why I would trade for Scherzer if it costs that, and it might, it really might cost something like Nolan Gorman, would be if he if he really does put me over the top. I wouldn't be doing it because I feel like he's a guy that I'm re-signing. I think he might sign here anyways. Yeah. Once he hits free, he's agency. a free agent, so you don't so have to give up anything. I, I would, I would rather if if it's about re-signing him in the future, I would rather just wait, acquire him, and still have Nolan Gorman. But if it's about winning the World Series and, and do, making that last move, that's when I would. I'll do say it. this: I, I don't, and I love Max Scherzer. I don't think Max Scherzer puts you in, in a for sure World Series situation. I think Max Scherzer makes you better than what you are right now, but I still think you're behind the Dodgers. The, what it would take to get to that place is Arnado's himself, Goldschmidt's back to being himself, and then on top of that, Paul DeYoung, Tyler O'Neill. Paul DeYoung Dylan is Carlson. is what was it? 2017 Paul DeYoung, Dylan Carlson, everything comes out roses. He's exactly he's rookie of the year. Lane Thomas or um, Tyler O'Neill mm-hmm. end up coming out on a, on the positive side of things. They are everything that the Cardinals expected them to be. And then you probably also need some positive answers in the rotation. Yeah. Um, behind Max Scherzer. In well, this and that's the part for me too. I think if you're going to make that type of move, Jack Flaherty needs to be the Cy Young. Yes. Or Jack Flaherty needs to be a complete bust to where you have to go out there and find something. If Jack Flaherty's a bust. You can't make this trade because then you go into the postseason and you, you I, I don't think without Flaherty being peak form, you're not a World Series team, period. End of story. Yeah. Regardless of what the answers are on these other but guys, you, you have need Flaherty to, to be that legit number one. But you have to chase a number one then if he's not your number one. Uh, if he's not your number one this year, then it's an offseason question, not an in-season question to me. Because you got to figure out what you're doing about that in the future. If he's not a number one, if he's not an ace, this team's not winning a World Series. It, you, you'll go into the, the postseason, and when you match up against the Padres, the Dodgers, the Braves, or the Mets, you're going to be at such a disadvantage pitching-wise, to your point, Tanner, that I don't think you're going to be able to overcome that. They need Flaherty to be an ace. And then if you add kind of a secondary ace, the way that the Mets have, the way that the Dodgers certainly have, the way the Padres have this offseason, that's that's when you can put yourself over the top, in my opinion, at least. I, I would agree with that. The thing is, though, if Flaherty is himself, what are we determining as World Series bound? Because like, if I, if I know that I'm getting Scherzer, and I'm going with the mentality of if you get in, anything can happen. I'm not going with that. If, if I'm if I'm paying this kind of a price, it is not a if you get in, anything can happen. I it need is a, a sure if thing. If I get in, I think that I'm going to win the World Series. I also think too with that, it depends too what your three four looks like heading into the postseason. If they're okay, look, I I think the Cardinals bullpen's going to be fine. I do too. That's why I. I would like to see another guy come in like an Odorizzi. It's why I super swiped yesterday. I I would like to see just that guy that can come in. Scherzer, to me, would fill that void and help them have a fighting chance against the Padres. The Dodgers are on another level. I don't know if you're ever going to have a fighting chance with you're them not. this season. You have to be the clear-cut number two. Yeah. To make a move like this, it would require you being the clear-cut number two contender in the National League. Otherwise, there's no reason to. See, like I don't, Again, I, you you wait until the offseason. If you're giving up Nolan Gorman 
You you better be a World Series contender. I don't necessarily agree that you have to be the clear-cut number two. I think if you're right on that verge of being the number two, like if you're just behind the Piders or just behind the Mets. Then you don't give up Nolan Gorman. If, see, it, if it takes less than that to get Scherzer, fine. See, I, trade, Gorman, I would trade no. prospects. This is probably a bad thing to say. I would trade prospects like the Rams trade first-round picks because you don't know what you are going to get in them. I understand. You have to have but prospects. But I do know that he has value across the league. And if he has I, value to other teams and I can get something else in the offseason by trading Nolan yeah. Gorman, I'm with you. I'm all for trading prospects, but you have to get something that is actually worth what you are giving up. And Nolan Gorman has a value. And it, for a team that is not contending for a World Series, it's, in bigger, this than scenario, Max it's bigger than it's bigger than two months of Max Scherzer pitching. For I me. agree with that one. And I'd take the chance of Max Scherzer being a free agent and take my shot there. Yeah, and then maybe you still get him and make myself year. a bigger World Series contender and keep Nolan Gorman. But I don't I don't think the Cardinals would ever make that Scherzer trade without knowing he I'm assuming when you make this trade for Scherzer, you are signing him another two years. Maybe just one. But, but that's already there. That 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 carrot is it already exists because he's a free agent. You see what I'm saying? Cause I see what you're saying, but again, I to me, if you can get a two like Scherzer, it gives you a fighting chance to get through everybody else in the NL and then just see whatever you can solve with the Dodgers. I don't think you have to necessarily – you're never going to compete with the Dodgers sure. this year. So if you can just get Scherzer to get to the Dodgers and then see what happens, then I think you pull the trade off. My point is, and I'll end it on this, if you're making that deal, you better be the clear-cut number two. The Padres cannot be a, hey, if we get him, we might be able to beat the Padres. It cannot be a, if we get Scherzer, we might be able to beat the Mets. No, if we get him, we're beating the Mets, and we're beating the Padres, and we're going to the NLCS to be able to see the Dodgers, and we think this gives us a really good shot against them. It has to be that. So you're going to have to get really positive answers on a lot of the questions that the Blues have this year. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Coming up next, let's play a game of Are We Sure, including Are We Sure That You Want to Bet Against Carson Wentz Turning It Around with the New England Patriots? We'll explain coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think we're playing, are we sure? Are we sure we are? I'm not sure. I'm definitely not sure it's anymore. T-bone, T-bone 65, with his opinions, man. is the air comfort service tax line for are we sure? Tanner was so convicted yeah. of his Max Scherzer take. Just lost all, all sense of what was coming up next on the show. Let's start with this one. There was a report yesterday that apparently the New England Patriots are one of the teams interested in trading for Carson Wentz. Guys, if this does indeed happen, let's go down that hypothetical scenario. Are we sure that we want to bet against Carson Wentz turning it around with the Patriots? Are you betting against Carson Wentz turning it around with the Pats? No, I'm not betting against. Hold on. Just go with it. This is what happens. Yes, I I am betting against Carson Wentz turning it around because I don't see him turning it around. I know we really. Well, frankly, T-Bone confused me with his in or out here. My mind was in or out. I'm betting against them because New England still has the same problem that they had with Cam Newton. You don't have anything else. And as much as we give credit to Bill Belichick, and we should give credit to Bill Belichick, they got to do a lot more than just Carson Wentz. I think it's going to take some time for Carson Wentz to turn it around. I don't know if New England's the spot for him, so I'm going to bet against this, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. I don't think Wentz fits well with New England. I honestly, I'm not quite sure what quarterback's going to fit well with them. I really like 
them going in the draft and getting a guy to start. I think Mac Jones makes a lot of sense in New England. I don't think they'll trade up to get a quarterback, but I I don't see them with Wentz. I don't know if Jimmy G might make sense to them. Other than that, though, Jimmy G might be the only one and maybe Mac Jones if they wanted to select him. What about Kyle Trask? Yeah. Okay. Apparently he's a loser to BK. He's he reminds me of uh, Mason Rudolph. Oh, you remember Mason of- Rudolph at Oklahoma State? I know, I know what we've seen from him now in the NFL, and that kind of skews what people thought of him. Ma- Mason Rudolph was a second round pick. There was once upon a time when people were kind of intrigued by what he was going to bring. Telling I, Big Ben to watch his back. Yeah, he's it, Kyle Trask is kind of that. There's oh, okay. not a whole lot of arm talent. There. Seems like a perfect guy for the Patriots to draft then. Hmm. I, I'm really interested to see what the league thinks of Mac Jones. Apparently, the, the most recent mock draft I saw on ESPN has him going like 12th. Yeah, I'm fifth surprised by I'm that. I'm pretty sure, too. I'm really surprised fifth quarterback? By that. Yeah. I'm, I wouldn't bet against Wentz with the Patriots. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think he could get back to form with them. There's something, the, the Cardinals devil magic, where they get these reclamation projects and suddenly they look better again. But it didn't work for Cam Newton. I know. I know. I'm not consistently betting uh, against that I think team, he, I think he's broke right now, and I don't know if he Maybe. ever gets fixed. I, I wonder with Newton, too. Part of it was, it's clear he can't throw the ball. His shoulder's messed yeah. up still. I, I think if you got a quarterback like related. Wentz, yeah, if that's not injury-related, it might be intriguing to see what they could Who's do. Who's he throwing to? That's a good question. Nikhil Harry. Is that how Carson Wentz turns himself back into an MVP? They're going to have to sign exactly. some receivers this offseason. Yeah. They they don't have any pass catchers worth anything. Yeah. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, are we sure that Andrew Kisner is going to start 45 games next year? Now that Yachty's back, are we sure Kisner is going to start even 45 games going into next year? Yeah, I'm sure he starts at least 45, especially if we're going to be having as many double headers as they're talking about. You think Yachty's sitting doubleheader? Yeah, I do. Okay. I I, I, <laughs> I do. I, I. What's in your cup there? It's a Long Island, T-Bone. Come on. We've been around here for long enough. I, I think there was a little bit of an understanding coming back on this one, and this is just my thoughts. I mean, I have no idea of this, but you're going to get to see a little bit more of Andrew Kisner this season. They're going to make sure they, they, they take what they need with Yachty. He's going to be out there, but I think we're going to see more than 45 of Andrew. I'm not sure because I still – I don't think he, A, I think Yachty plays a lot, and I still wouldn't be shocked if one of those non-roster invitees. Is Matt Wieters? Oh, no. Matt Wieters or another veteran catcher, although they do have. Uh, Tyler Heineman. Heine. Yeah, Heine. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't know if he'll be the backup or not, but I do think that. It's our guy. Don't talk about him. Sorry. That's the magician. That's the magic man. That was before I was here. So the magic man. Well, thanks for I, listening. I, I'm not sure that we'll see. <laughs> I'm not sure we're going to see Kisner in 45. I'm, I'm in total agreement with Tanner here. I'm stunned that Alex is going out onto this limb. Andrew Kisner's not the future at catcher, so I'm not worrying about how, how often he plays. Yvonne Herrera is the only young catcher for the long-term future of this Cardinals team that matters. But what if he is the future? And what if he's another Randy or Rosarena? He's not, and he's not. Uh, Andrew Kisner is not the future for the Cardinals. He is their backup this year, and they will eventually trade him. I firmly believe that after they decided to re-sign Yachty. Yvonne Herrera is the future for them at the catching position. I'll prove you wrong after this season. Both (laughs) of you. You've been right on other things lately. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Are We Sure? Last one here. Guys, are we sure Yaddy's done after this year? Are we no. sure? No, I'm not sure about that, especially with Benji's comments yesterday. He didn't even have to say what he said 
for me to think that Yachty was hanging them up. Yachty said he was hanging them up after that three-year deal. I was at that press conference at Bush Stadium, and I'm like, wow, really? Three years with Yachty, and that's it. Look at us now. It ain't over. It ain't ever going to be over with Yachty. Tanner, do we have those comments? I have them in my folder. The Benji Molina, he was on with the fast lane yesterday, and he was talking about... Is it going to be the last year for Yachty or Molina? Here it is. Knowing that Yachty, it's uh, the way he trains, the way he he takes care of himself, and, and the way things go, and when he when he takes it so serious and stuff like that. So I don't. I would say no. I would say this is not his last year. Uh, do I know? No, I don't know. But uh, but my guess will be that he will play another year. You know, uh, at least another year. I think this is this is just my guess. Tom Brady 2.0. He ain't done. No. No chance he's done. He's going to continue playing. This is not... I, I'm i not believing that this is going to be his last year in, in the bigs. I agree. How many more do you think? Do you think just two, or could you see even a third? I, I'm not counting anything out. He's RoboCop, from man, the three, until one, he breaks. From the 314. Guys, Yachty is our version of Brett Favre. Yeah. Okay, that's an insult to Yachty. Uh, no, it's true. Like uh, y- Favre was... Wait, so he's going to retire, come back, retire, and come back? Favre was a backup his last five years of his career. Brett Favre was really, really good in some of those last few seasons. Like, really good. Was he? Yes, absolutely. He had some really good years at the end. Almost got to um, a Super Bowl. Yeah, he, I, I think you are vastly underrating what Brett Favre did at the back it's end of his possible. career. Uh, his, so his age 40 season. Went 12 and four with Minnesota. Finished that year with 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions. He had seven interceptions. Sounds like a backup to me. Brett Favre had the lowest interception rate in the league that year. Brett Favre was awesome at the back end of his career. Trying to think of other Uh, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Last one before we get out of here and talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. Are we sure the Blues are okay? Yeah, they're fine. They really are. Craig Berube. He and I are on the same mindset right now, especially listening to him on the fast lane yesterday talking about this team. I think it's a confidence issue right now. I think it's a little bit of this. This team needs to get out on the road and get their minds off of what they've been going through. But it's one of those games that it's it's a gritty victory that turns into a win streak like we saw. This team's going to be fine. This team will still be top three fighting for a top spot in the division at the end of the season. I agree. I, I'm Although I do have some concerns, I'm not going to hit the panic button yet, so I guess I'm not sure. You're sure. You're Um, sure. All right. (laughs) He's confused. (laughs) No, I'm trying to figure out. I'm not sure there are. Oh. I'm not. Uh, I think they're going to be okay. I hope they're going to be okay. I think there's been some weaknesses that have been shown in this series. I think some of that very well may end up being, though, and we're going to learn this over the next couple of weeks. I think some of it might just be that Arizona is a really bad matchup for the Blues. And if that ends up being the case, the reason why I'm not sure they're going to be okay, I think they could play this team in the playoffs. And I don't want to see this team, the Arizona Coyotes, in the postseason. Blues are a different they're a different monster in the postseason, man. Uh, they Previous really are. Previous Blues were. The previous Blues were. This Blues team does not have Alex Petrangelo. They do not have Pat Maroon. They do not have Jay Bo Meester. This is not the same Blues team that we saw in the postseason a few years ago. I think it's a different identity, and I think they're going to find that identity once you get towards that part of the season. I'm rooting for you to be right and me to be unbelievably wrong. It's happened before. It will happen again. (laughs) With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're going to talk with our guy, Chris Kerber. He's the voice of the Blues. What's he think? Are these Blues okay? Talk to Chris Gerber about it coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on the show. Kerbs, you excited to announce more games against the Arizona Coyotes? I am still just <laughs> excited that unlike some of the teams, we uh, still have games to announce. So I, I think, uh, listen, I think you look at it right now, don't you? Like you, I mean, if, if you're Craig Berube and you want to create a sense of urgency, at, at, at least try to. Don't you look and say, guys, we're going to attack this like it's a seven-game playoff series and we're down three games to one now? I mean, I, I, I love the opportunity that it presents, but that it, it is, it, it's both crazy, fortunate, and I guess if you come across the, on the losing side of it, unfortunate the way this is working out right now for the Blues and the Coyotes, but at least something is working out, I guess. So, Curbs, the Blues have lost nine of the last 13 games that they've played against Arizona. I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question to kind of project forward into the playoffs real quick. If I told you that the Blues could choose right now to either face the Coyotes in the playoffs or one of Colorado or Vegas, which one do you think they would choose? Coyotes. Really? Why? Well, the other two teams are much, much deeper. I know I know the Coyotes have had the Blues numbers here a little bit, but some of these games, they've all been pretty close. I mean, the last two games, if the Blues win the special teams by a battle in the last two games, we're talking about having only lost one of, of these games against the Coyotes maybe. So if, if that, if not being on a four-game win streak against them. So I just – if you're going to give me the choice over those those first uh, in the first round series, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take the Coyotes. I know they've had the number, but the Blues are just deeper. Put the added intensity and the added uh, and the I guess the added microscope of the playoffs on it, and I'll save those other two for a round two or round three. Curb, since you brought up the, the special teams and the power play, Craig Berube was on the fast lane yesterday and gave a really good example of just kind of what's going on right now with this unit. And he says that look, you got three different guys on that number one unit that weren't here last year. And Perron, I played it on the pregame show the other night, talking about how he was used to having that right-handed shot at the blue line, and now it's been Tory Krug. Do you still have faith that this power play is going to turn things around and be effective for the St. Louis? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, you're 12 games in. It's a 56-game season. I don't think you're going to look at the talent that the St. Louis Blues have and go, this is a hopeless situation. So I, I really do. I know they were working on it again today. I was encouraged by the last game and just how things went. I mean, you had 10 shots on goal on, on your power plays. That's a good number. And so – they're continuing to work on more traffic in the middle. I like the fact that Oscar Sundquist has earned that chance to, to get an opportunity there. So, you know, look, I, like I said, I think uh, the power play probably could have won you two of those last two games. The penalty kill easily could have done the same in that last game. So, um, you know, special teams is, is the battle right now. I think you have to be encouraged by five on five. Even statistically, the Blues are playing as one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. The fact that with some of the new uh, the new players, some of the injuries, some of that, the whole factor that goes in there, it's not overly surprising that the special teams, both power play and penalty killing, are struggling. It is that they're struggling to the level that they are, but not that there are struggles that go on it. So um, I'm actually, um, you know, I saw them today in practice working on defensively kind of defending exactly what Arizona has done when they've been on the power play, treating it almost like a playoff series, right? Cause you know, you're going to get these guys the next three games. So um, I, I'm, I'm still very confident on the special teams, but I think what it does show you, Alex too, is if you're going to have to choose one and you wanted to choose 
a better power play or a better penalty kill, you take the penalty kill 10 days out of 10. 100%. I mean, you, you, take, you take the penalty killing, you know, and, and, and if in the end the power play might just even – power play will sneak in a goal or two and might just even help you kill some clock. But, man, if you have a bad penalty kill like the Blues are struggling with right now, it just impacts your overall play and can impact your five-on-five play too. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, what did you think of Justin Falk on the power play? Oh, I loved it. Listen, this, this guy, I think since he came into the league, uh, I, I think he's fourth amongst defensemen in, in, in goals scored on the power play. It's a position that he's had. It's what he did with the Carolina Hurricanes. And the way he's going right now, he just has the confidence of shooting the puck, Brandon. So I like the fact that he was on there. I mean, I think in that one power play, he ripped three consecutive shots in a row when mm-hmm. the puck came right back to him. So I, uh, I I love the fact that they did that. And that's listen, this is what the Blues have, is they have those kind of options. And they have the option where you don't have to do the four forward, one defenseman thing that has become such a popular thing in the National Hockey League. You You really can do the... You know, two defensemen if you need it. And, you know, whether it be like and even today when they were practicing some of the power play stuff mixed in with some penalty kill work, it was done in Krug. And, you know, I, I think the, the ultimate key for me, Brandon, really comes down to this. I, I think you need a right-handed shot on the left side. You need a left-handed shot on the right side. And everybody has to start thinking one-timers and shoot the puck. And, you know, I, I just – Teams are too good with their sticks, and the goaltenders are too quick that if you've got a left-handed shot on the left side for that puck to come across to them, now the guy's got to catch it, reload, and basically fire it, and then you've got to beat a goalie one-on-one. That's so much harder to do versus one-timing it. And and use use Alex Ovechkin. He's got that right-handed shot. You know where his office is, and he's got the ability to beat a goalie straight up anyway. But um, to, to me... To me, when they start to switch around where they get the, you know, the, the righty on the left, the lefty on the right, and somebody straight away that can pass the puck to them um, is when this power play is able to rip it like they did in the last game. Curbs, I know we're a couple of days away before, of course, that matchup against Arizona on Friday, but I saw earlier today at practice, Mikola was kind of on the outside of that six pair in. What have you thought of, of the young defenseman's last couple of games, and do you think that Craig Bruby might be looking to juggle it up once again? Yeah, you know what? I didn't. I wasn't. I, I didn't see that part of the skate. Um, it wouldn't overly surprise me. You know, you've got some assuredness if, if you go with Portuzo and you go with Gunnarsson. Uh, you give Mikola a chance to get a breather. I haven't seen anything I haven't liked to be honest with you. I think if uh, you could be overly critical and a little nitpicky, but for someone that that only played five games in the National Hockey League and he's come in and he's played six or seven in a row now, and Craig Berube is putting him out there on the penalty kill. I mean it. They trusted him enough to put him out there in the final minute of that game the yeah. other night, you know, with the way he was playing. That's got to tell you something. So, no, I think I think Nico Mikola, who um, has stepped up, he's proven he can be a part of this team. And, uh, again, look, how many times have we talked about this, Alex, when it comes to the forwards, right? right. Is somebody going to put some pressure on the other forwards, make the coach keep you in the lineup, you know? And, and that's what Nico Mikola has done. He waited. The chance was there. They pulled him off taxi squad he goes into the game and he plays six or seven in a row i I think he's been really really good and 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 is developing well for the blues he's the voice of the blues chris kerber you can follow him on twitter at chris kerber you'll hear him on the call once again blues versus coyotes coming up on friday night pregame coverage with alex ferrario begins at seven o'clock curbs you're the best man always appreciate the time we'll talk with you again soon 
right, guys, have yourself a great rest of the week and a good weekend. Talk yeah, to you same, a little later. Same to you. That is Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Did you know, I was just looking this up, because he, he was talking about how he'd rather be good on the penalty kill than good on the power play, which I think is interesting. Do you know the Blues lead the NHL right now in power play opportunities? Mm-hmm. They are number one in the league. They've had 77 power play opportunities. Now, a lot of this is there's a lot of teams that have not played very many games so far this year. Um, but some of it is just like they, they are getting the chances. It's not that they're getting no opportunities on the power play. They just haven't been converting them so far. Yeah. It's crazy. And I'm with Curbs, though. I would much rather have a top penalty kill than a top power play because once you get into postseason play, those penalties are very scarce, and it's five-on-five five play. But when they happen, I would much rather this team be able to kill off power plays from the opposition and score at five-on-five five where they are awesome than score on the power play. And then when the other team gets one, give that goal back up. So I'm with Curbs. I would much rather have a stronger penalty kill, which I know they were working on at practice today as well. By the way, you heard it there. Alex mentioned it to Curbs. If you were curious how the lines look today at Morning Skate, uh, the, the defensive pairings are really where the interest is. Krug and Falk are paired as the top defensive pairing. Gunnarsson with Pareko, and then you've got Dunn and Bortuzzo, Mikola and Wallman were the extras in the defensive pairing. So you, have you seen something from Mikola that would indicate that he, he might need a night off? No, and I was texting with JR about that, and JR had said that Barubi kind of made a comment about Mikola saying, like, look, he's played well. He had a tough game. He was on the ice for two goals against uh, with Arizona the, the previous game, so that may go against him, but I think more than anything, he's a younger guy. You want to sit him down and just let him watch the game for a game and put him back in. I, I like the idea of Gunnarsson with Pareko more so because Dunn moves back with Bortuzzo. And that was a really solid third pairing for the Blues in the postseason a couple of years ago. And Gunnarsson's that stay-at-home defenseman to give Pareko the opportunity to jump up into play. So I don't think they're going to keep Mikola off the, the ice in the game unless they feel like he just needs to watch for a game or two. The one other thing, the fourth line, it was Clifford, De La Rose, Baganski. Uh, I like that too. I mean, I... I I really liked what McEachern gave them the other night. I like, did too. Re- I really thought he was deserving of another opportunity. I did too. I also really enjoyed P- uh, Pagansky in training camp. He stuck out to me more so than any of the other taxi squad eligible players. And to what Curbs was just talking about, PK, who's the guy that's going to step up and say, hey, I'm not coming out of this lineup like Mikola did. McEachern does. I think McEachern earned another night he after what a, he did in the last game. But the problem he's is one of their better players he's on the so ice. inconsistent because the game prior to that sure, where he played. If he proves he can't do it, take him yeah. off. Well, and you know what? They might put McEachern in there over a guy like Zach Sanford who's been struggling. But I, I really like the idea of Austin Pagansky because he plays a chippy style. He's that guy that does what Craig Ruby wants to do on a consistent level. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We will cross things over with the fast lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. It's Friday morning. 
participate in the 21st annual Hardee's Rise and Shine for Heat Fundraiser. Stop by any participating Hardee's in the Bi-State area this Friday morning between 6 and 1030 and grab a sausage biscuit or an egg biscuit for the special price of just $1. 100% of the proceeds of all funds collected will help heat up St. Louis, supporting people in, uh, in need in both Missouri and Illinois. Help heat up the St. Louis region this Friday morning at any participating Hardee's. BT in studio, crossing things over with the fast lane. What's up, dude? Not much, man. I've been missing you guys. You guys, are, you sound great. Thanks, Fantastic. Buddy. I feel like I haven't done a crossover with you guys in it's forever. It's been a minute. It's been a I while. mean, y- you had the vid. Which was tough. I didn't uh, have it. But otherwise, everything else has been good. But I didn't have the vid. That was the thing. No, he got the negative test. Yeah. Huh. I had a, a oh. what they call, it's not even a false positive. It was, I don't even know what you call <laughs> it. It was just it's a false negative. test. I don't know what you call it, but I, I lost my taste and my smell. I am yet curious. I came back with a couple of negative tests. But, you know, better safe than sorry. Yeah, and God bless Stay you for taking here, the precautions you know? and everything. Yeah. We appreciate that. Um, what, you lost your sense of smell and taste? Were you just like... Were you yeah, concerned? So, what, what, yeah, of course I was concerned. <laughs> what, I, I was what getting happens? dinner. Well, so I, I got home. It was I was actually working Tuesday. Yeah. Uh, it, it was Tuesday. I get home and I'm eating dinner and I'm like, I had like a, a bagel sandwich for dinner. We we're doing nice. sandwiches for dinner, right? A little toasted bagel, uh, everything bagel. Doing some bacon, Put some, some bacon turkey, right. avocado, like a nice little setup. Nice and taste that spicy mustard all over it. Didn't taste anything. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, and I look at my wife. I'm like, hey, I, I can't really taste this. She's like, what? Uh, yeah, she's going. Like, oh, Are you serious? No. Yeah, she's like, you should probably go get yeah. a test, right? I'm like, yeah, okay. So next morning, yeah, go get a rapid test, and the rapid test says, no, nah, you're good. And the the doctor's like, uh, yeah, you can't taste or smell. We're gonna do another test. They did another test, and that one came back a couple days later. And I said, it's good, and I feel great. That's incredible. Yeah, so has it, it come back yet? Though? I was about to say, yeah, do you have only, to taste the smell? Twenty four hours. That's, oh, all that's wild. Yeah. That's crazy. Because I, I was like, I, like my my wife has a ton of like essential oils and stuff. Sure. Dude, I'm, I'm like in there on eucalyptus, oh, yeah. like <laughs> uh, sanitizer, Just nothing. Every morning, nothing. every morning yeah, I wake up. And it's s- all it was right. Every morning I wake up, you sniff one of those jars of Vicks nasal spray, and you're like, okay, we're good, we're good. Guys, you guys got to chill with the sm- sniffing, the snorting, all of that. Why? Uh, well, it's a smell easy. test. Yeah, you got to make sure okay. you're good to go. Okay, making Anyways, sure. We got feeling great. That's good. We're to good. Hear. That's good I to hear, lost BT. my. So I had it in. I guess it would have been Thanksgiving time, right? I still don't have a hundred percent smell back. Really. It's, February. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my wife has it. It's and she's crazy. the same thing. It's crazy. I never lost my sense of taste. Thank God. Knock on wood. Hopefully never do. But man, losing your sense of smell is weird because you don't notice it at first until you're actually like trying to smell something. The first yeah. time I noticed it was when I uh, went to smell my whiskey and I was like, oh, there is just heat. Like there is nothing else here other than heat. It just burns, and that was a uh, that was a bit problematic. That was one uh, for me because uh, when I did uh, I did the initial like maybe at dinner I'm, I'm like all right well maybe like there's something and then throughout the night like I'm sleeping and I'm freaking out and I get up and I'm like uh, I'm gonna go try some Listerine. <laughs> so I do like the Listerine. I start swishing around like oh, damn it, there's nothing. Just, just, the tab- just the sensation, right? <laughs> Bust out the Tabasco yeah, sauce. Be like nothing. nothing. That, what is that's this? when you go end up going with like the stuff that you hate that is really healthy for you. It's like now's the time. Now, now's the time to go you know, ahead and eat like a really awful salad. I, I got a buddy though that uh, that that did have COVID, and I asked him that. Like, hey, so did you just like do the diet thing? Like, did you just eat good stuff? He's like, no, I still wanted all the terrible stuff. Still had all the same exact <laughs> the cravings. cravings. Yeah, I wanted pizza or McDonald's or you know whatever it is that, that he wanted. So uh, I don't know. I only had like 24 hours of that part of it, and, and uh, technically didn't have it. So hey, hey fingers crossed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it going. I've been on a good streak well, of we like not to being see. able to get this thing. Yeah. 
huh? And uh, I'd like to keep it. But everybody stay safe out there. Absolutely, 100%. It, it sucks. It was not fun at all. Uh, BT, what's coming up? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fun that has had today on the festival. Well, we generally try to have some fun. We did get our big laugh out early. I, I think, honestly, in the last three weeks, every single day we've been doing this job, there's a laugh-till-you-cry moment. Good. We got it out earlier watching an old meat, uh, Can You Beat Meat video when he was uh, wrestling micro-wrestlers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. a great one. It was, it was good. But we'll talk about the blues. Uh, Jamie's going to tell us what their identity is, because I don't know what it is at this point. Jamie's going to break that down. And at 3 o'clock, we're going to talk to the president of the Cardinals, Bill DeWitt the III. So we'll, I've heard of him. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll see what uh, Bill's got to say. I think There's some he's going to tell you that they're going to sign a bunch more players. I don't know if he is, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out at 3 o'clock Jamie today. must have scored a goal on him. That's why he's coming on. Looking Probably forward to true. that. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast brought to you by I Promise. I gave some thoughts on my dear friend, uh, Therese Paler, earlier today. If you missed that, it's at the very beginning of the show. Um, we are going to miss him dearly uh, like crazy. But that's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.